0: Stars will continue after a short pause for station identification. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company.
1: WNBC, New York. Pioneer station of the National Broadcasting Company.
2: It's 4 p.m. Eastern Time on November 25th, 1948. Elgin Watch's annual Thanksgiving Day Special is on the air from NBC's KFI in Hollywood. Don Amici is the MC. Ken Carpenter is announcing. This November, radio ratings are robust. Eleven shows have ratings higher than 20 points, and Lux Radio Theater's 33.2 is the most-listened-to show on the air. But a major shift is about to happen just as the TV era launches.
0: The Elgin Watch Company's seventh annual two-hour Thanksgiving Day greeting to America, our hospitalized veterans and servicemen overseas and neighbors around the world continues with Don Amici, Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis, Vera Vague, Red Skelton, Francis Langford, the Bickersons, the Mills Brothers, Andre Previn, Mario Lanza and the Elgin Orchestra and Chorus under the direction of Robert Ambruster. And here again is your host for these two hours of stars, Don Don Amici.
1: Once again, may I say to those of you who have just joined us, Happy Thanksgiving and welcome to Two Hours of Stars. This is the seventh straight year the Elgin Watch Company and the Elgin Jewelers have invited your favorite stars to join us in our holiday open house. And each year it has been our custom to invite several young newcomers, stars of tomorrow who we believe are worthy of inclusion on our guest list. Just such a newcomer is that tall, tan, good-looking young fellow who has been attracting attention is the saner half of a nightclub combination known as Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Elgin presents, Dean Martin.
3: Everyone knows she's a rambling rose, she's a beauty growing wild.
4: I have to say this about Dean, and I've said it all of my life. He had a brain like a univac. He would soak up what you're telling him and he was incapable of forgetting it. I said to him, If you just sing, gee, what I'd love to see that old gang of mine, my old gang of mine, I'll put on a busboy's jacket, I'll come out with my hair. My hair was like up to here. I looked like Ann Miller. I had such a head of hair.
3: Anyone knows you can't a to be a clinging vine. So I've got
4: this hair, right? and I put it in my face and part it with grease, and I've got the napkin, and Dean is singing that old gang of mine, and I'm doing, goodbye forever, and I start to cry. That turned into a marvelous bit.
3: She's got the kind of affection that just But
4: Dean was impeccable. His natural sense of time was like nothing I'd ever seen in my life. He almost knew where I was going when I started. He almost knew when to pull back and when to go get me. In that first night, I was feeling it. Anyone knows
3: you can't train a rose to be a clinging vine. So from this day hence, to be a picket fence round a rambling rose of mine.
1: That is fine, Dean. And I can tell by Miss Vera Vague's expression that she agrees with me. What do you think of it, Miss Vague? Oh,
5: wonderful. Just wonderful. Oh, I have plenty to be thankful for this Thanksgiving Day.
6: You really like my singing, Miss Vague?
5: Oh, you mean you sing too? Oh. oh yes, of course. In fact, I was surprised how much you sounded like Bing Crosby.
1: Well, Bing's always happy to give a boy a start.
5: Yes, he must be. He started four of them. You know, Mr. Mr. Martin. After looking at you closely, I'd say you were definitely a cross between Cary Grant.
6: Cary Grant and who else?
5: Well, who cares? Don't be a pig. <laughs>
6: Ah, uh, you're quite a study, Miss Vague.
5: Oh, yes, and I'd be glad to help you with your homework any time. <laughs> you know, Mr. Martin, I can assist you up the road to fame and fortune.
6: Thanks, Miss Vague, but the Jerry Lewis is my partner. He's got to go up that road, too.
5: Well, if he looks anything like you, I'd be glad to carry him piggyback.
1: <laughs> well, here he is, Miss Vague, Jerry Lewis. <laughs>
5: What's going on here? I've never seen so many... Oh, Mr. Lewis, Mr. Lewis, I've heard so much about you. I feel I've already met you. (laughs) Well, don't just stand there looking at me. Say something. Are you for real?
1: (laughs) Jerry may seem a little strange at first, Miss Begg, but he's really very clever. He and Dean were on Bob Hope's program Tuesday night, and Hal Wallace is starring them in the picture of my friend Irma.
7: Yes, I'm really lovely. You know, of course, they want me back at Slapsy (laughs) Maxie.
5: If you ask me, Max, he slapped you once too often
7: Oh, is that so? Well, I think it's only fair that you should give credit where credit is due, Miss Vague It so happens I taught D. Martin everything he knows
1: well, What did you teach him, Jerry?
7: I got him a rat trap and taught him to catch rats the same way I do I got a big yellow rat about 104 feet all and a little pink eye he's got And with all the all hand that hangs there. over the ear is the there. most beautiful
6: thing Hold <laughs> it Jerry, you keep that up and I'll have to cut off your pabulum.
7: Oh, no, no, Dean. You couldn't do that. Anything but that. Anything.
5: You here?
6: Sure, I'm here. How
5: do you like it here? (laughs) Mr. Lewis, you'd make a perfect mate for an idiot. Thank you, but you'll have to ask my father. where you ever got such a partner, Mr. Martin. After all, you have carried Grant's je ne sais quoi. You have big cross joie de vivre. Well, give him back to them. Do you want the cops after us? <laughs> you need someone with intelligence as a partner, Mr. Martin. I do? Yes, you do. And I, well, I've taken part in so many discussion groups. Uh, I can discuss everything. Yeah, well, I can be just as disgusting as you can. <laughs> I don't mind telling you, young man When men look at me, they think of Rita Hayworth
6: When men look at you, they think of Rita Hayworth? Yes
5: Can you blame them? <laughs> now look, look,
7: Jerky That's Jerry uh, jerky. See? It's no. written right here J-E-R-K-Y
5: Jerry Jerry <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Martin Mr. Martin, come here Just look at all the famous partnerships of history There was always a woman There was Anthony and Cleopatra Romeo and Juliet
8: Martin and Lewis
5: Yes, but you're a boy I am? How do you like that? My parents
7: never told me nothing Well Whatever I may be, Miss Vague I want you to know You'll never be able to break us up Dean and I will always stick together
5: like glue Well, what makes you so sure? I'll use glue (laughs) I wouldn't help you in any shape or form. With
7: that shape and form, you need more help than we do. Are you for real?
5: I. I'd... I'd tell you to go soak your head if I had a pointed bucket handy.
6: Now, see what you did, Jerry? Miss Vague left covered with confusion.
5: So what? She looks
7: better with a cover. You you told me she was a slick chick. She's no slick chick. What is she? She's a plump (laughs) rump. Look at the way she talked to me. Stop. Do you think I'm an imbecile?
6: So you're beginning to wonder, too, huh? (laughs) Jerry, don't you realize the only way you can make an impression on people is by being debonair, sophisticated and suave?
7: I don't want to be a debonair, sophisticated slob.
6: (laughs) Jarrett, the trouble with you is you're too sure of yourself. You're conceited.
7: Dean, you know that is not true. I used to be conceited, but I went to a psychiatrist and got myself cured. And now I'm one of the nicest guys I (laughs) know.
6: You, um, you went to a psychiatrist?
7: Yes. He said I was the mousy type So I showed him my rat He got down on the floor at me And saw the little blue one That had the ear that hung right. over the eye He had a busted claw right. I need to see the way he went
9: right. The room and...
6: Gary, <laughs> if you expect to be my partner You've got to change entirely Bye Bye? Where are you going?
7: Up to the hotel I changed entirely <laughs> I've tried to be worthy of you, Dean I went to the May Company and tried to get a job in the long underwear department, but all the man would say was, sorry, no opening for you.
6: I can't understand that, Jerry. I really think you've always been the epitome of perspicacity.
7: Oh, there you go, insulting me again. Well, all I can tell you is that I'm sick of it. Do you hear? Sick, sick, sick. <laughs> Oh, you can laugh if you want to. Naturally, you think it's very puny. Funny. <laughs> but it isn't. You see, you don't know the circumstances. It just so happens that I haven't been too well. <laughs>
6: oh, I, uh, what's the matter with you? you? You got a cold?
7: Yes, you know how most show people are born in trunks. Yeah. I didn't have anything on at all. <laughs> myself when I object to your insults, Dean I'm thinking of my sister You don't know how my sister suffers
6: If I were your brother I wouldn't feel so good either You know, I haven't been trying to insult you, Jerry I'm your friend, we've been pals together Standing side by side Hand in hand You're right, Dean (laughs) When we walk hand in hand The world becomes a wonderland,
8: it's magic You sigh, the song begins, you speak And I hear violins, it's magic How else can I explain those rainbows When there is no rain, it's magic
6: No, uh, I'm serious, Jerry You remember the time you got locked in our closet And you couldn't get out? Yeah Who fed the goldfish for three weeks?
7: You did, my friend
6: And when you disappeared and nobody heard from you Nobody knew where you were And nobody had the slightest idea where to locate you Who finally found you?
7: My draft board <laughs> If you really like me, Dean You'll try and help me You'll soothe me And you'll hold my head
6: Why, Jerry, of course I'll hold your head
7: Thank you, I'll pick it up in the morning
6: <laughs> Jerry, you've got to get a grip on yourself We're making a picture together We're making records Remember the record we made for Capital...
7: No, but I remember the record I made catching rats 191 at one time This big black one Crawled across my path, And I got him, see And I grabbed a swan no, of a Step no, up And I said, come to me My little mother.
10: Instead of a big, ugly Glass picture tube You saw the performers In your own mind You painted your own, big-as-life version of each moment with that loving, creative brush we call imagination. In
2: 1948, comedian Jack Benny organized his activities into a corporation. At the time, American individuals were taxed 77% on all income over $70,000. Benny's hope was to secure a deal with NBC for his company so that he could be taxed under capital gains laws at 25%. NBC's parent company was the Radio Corporation of America. Their head, David Sarnoff, refused. Amos and Andy were the first to secure such a deal. They jumped to CBS in October of 1948. Then, Lou Wasserman and Taft Schrieber, president and VP of the Music Corporation of America, called head of CBS, William Paley, to see if he was interested in a similar deal for Jack Benny. In November, David Sarnoff got word and sent NBC president Niles Trammell to California with orders to keep Benny at NBC. But Sarnoff refused to be there. In fact, he'd never even met Benny. William Paley flew to LA to meet Benny in person, agreeing for CBS to buy his corporation for $2.26 million. NBC responded by doubling their offer. However, Lou Asserman again intervened, obtained the NBC contract, changed every mention of NBC to CBS, and re-offered the deal to Benny, who then signed it. Although Benny was signed, Paley next had to convince Benny's sponsor, American Tobacco, to make the move. He did so by guaranteeing that CBS would pay the cigarette giant $3,000 per week for every ratings point lost after the migration. Lord that Paley would offer this, all parties agreed immediately. On Thanksgiving in 1948, William Paley had plenty bar. to be thankful for. While Jack Benny was appearing on NBC for this elegant special, CBS announced on their evening news that the Jack Benny program would be jumping to CBS. When asked that evening by the United Press, Benny declined to comment. For
11: 10 years, ever
2: it touched off a firestorm between the two networks NBC claimed any such deal was unlawful. David Sarnoff said, leadership built on a foundation of solid service can't be snatched overnight by a few high-priced comedians. Leadership is no laughing matter. It was the biggest mistake of Sarnoff's career. Jack Benny left NBC at the end of the year. Edgar Bergen, too. There was suddenly a glaring hole in NBC's Sunday night lineup Between Benny and Bergen, NBC would need to replace roughly 45 million listeners come January. In 1949, Burns and Allen and Bing Crosby followed to CBS. NBC's desperation created major opportunities. Among those to benefit were a comedic duo who'd been selling out nightclubs all over the country. Their names were Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 139. My name is James Scully. Tonight on Breaking Walls, we spotlight the Martin and Lewis show and pay close attention to Frank Sinatra and Marilyn Monroe. If this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls, welcome to the show. You can find this series on every podcasting platform and at thewallbreakers.com. Tonight's opening song is Dean Martin's first number one single, Memories Are Made of This, released in 1955 for Capitol Records. It's a perfect theme for two men who live their lives to the fullest. Join the Breaking Walls Facebook group to keep in touch with news, snippets, photos, and other additions to the podcast at Facebook.com. Slash groups/ slash the wallbreakers and the first eight chapters of burning Gotham are out everywhere you can get a podcast and at burninggotham.com it was a 2022 official Tribeca Film festival audio selection you can also support these shows for as little as one dollar per month at patreon.com/ the wallbreakers
3: you can't. The memories you gave, gave to me, sir, it generously love. You can't beat the memories you gave to oh, me. One man.
9: <laughs> oh, Sable Honest!
12: Now what? I forgot to tell you! Uh, there was quite a bit of excitement today. An airplane flew over Hollywood and started skywriting.
11: Skywriting? What did it say?
12: Next week, Jack Benny's
9: program moves to.
6: Moves to where? Moves to where?
12: I don't know. NBC's anti
6: aircraft shot him down.
9: <laughs> well, well,
13: we'll find out later. Goodbye, Rochester. Goodbye.
9: <laughs>
11: Ladies and gentlemen, next week we'll be with you again at the same time with the same cast on another network. However, I want to take this opportunity of thanking everyone connected with NBC for a very pleasant association. And I also want to wish everybody a very happy New Year. <laughs> Good
10: night, everybody.
14: Ladies and gentlemen, listen again next time to the be Jack Benny Program.
10: So I moved and I didn't want to leave NBC. I loved NBC, but I had to make some kind of a deal where I could make some money because here I was getting a terrific salary and was all salary. And I couldn't make a deal for a company. Well, I wouldn't care if I got a million dollars a week. That wouldn't do me any good. What good would that be? With the income be tax, I'm right? sure. Right. So the ones that made me the deal and came right through with it quick was CBS. Then, of course, when NBC realized I was going to go, then they were Hmm. willing to make a deal, but I didn't want to play one against the other, so I merely took CBS.
15: Well, CBS had uh, generally rated NBC at that time, didn't they,
2: with these uh, production companies? NBC
10: NBC was, yeah, once I got on, but NBC was really the first network. Then when I moved over, a lot of shows moved over. Mm-hmm. So that made really CBS come up on top. Yeah, really I made the million CBS by that move, which I didn't know or didn't think, you know.
2: Network Radio opened 1949, fresh off its 14th consecutive year of record earnings. Total network revenue exceeded 210 million dollars, and total national radio revenue was more than 560 million. Adjusted for inflation, that's more than seven billion dollars today. It was this record revenue that launched the TV era. There were now nearly 1 million TV homes, up almost 450% from 1947. 33 new TV stations took to the air in 1948. Another 49 would launch in 1949. At 7.05 PM Eastern Time on Sunday, January 2nd, Jack Benny took to the air with his usual program, except that he was now airing over CBS instead of NBC. (laughs)
16: Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary
12: Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, today marks Jack
16: Benny's first program on the Columbia Broadcasting System. So, let's go back a couple of hours and pick up Jack and Mary on their way to the studio. Rochester is driving.
11: Not so fast, Rochester. Don't cross the double line. Look out for that car. What's the matter with you?
17: I'm driving
11: as carefully as I can, boss. Well, just watch it, that's all.
7: Oh, for heaven's sake, Jack, calm down. Don't be so nervous.
11: I'm not nervous.
7: And stop pacing up and down on the running board.
9: <laughs>
11: <laughs> okay, Mary, I'll admit it. I am nervous, and you can't blame me. Today's my opening broadcast on CBS.
9: All right,
18: so you're opening on CBS.
11: What do you mean, all right? Do you realize it's the first time my program will be heard in Alaska?
18: Well, so what? I've yet to see a walrus smoking a lucky strike.
11: (laughs) Oh, yeah? I saw one last night.
7: (laughs) That was Jerry Colonna.
11: And I'll have to apologize. I threw him a fish. (laughs) Anyway, Mary, this is no time for joking. I'm upset.
7: Oh, for heaven's sake, Jack. Why should you be worried? You must have a million dollars down in your vault.
11: I know, but I don't want to break up the serial numbers. (laughs) I mean, Mary, stop asking me questions, will you? I'm in Rochester, I don't want to have an accident on the way to the studio! Now slow down!
13: I'm only going 12 miles an hour!
11: (laughs) Don't give me that. What does it say on the speedometer?
12: Made in 1899!
2: (laughs) When William Paley told sponsor American Tobacco he'd pay $3,000 per week for every ratings point lost after the migration, it signaled that Paley was intent on not just equaling Benny's audience on NBC, but growing it. In December of 1948, Benny's last month on NBC, his program rating was 25.8. His first episode rating for CBS, 28.3. It was the most listened-to program in the U.S., and left NBC wondering what to do next.
19: The NBC Theater presents... Screen Directors Guild assignment,
16: production Stagecoach, director John Ford, stars John Wayne,
0: Claire Trevor, Ward Bond.
19: This is the Screen Directors Guild production of the United Artists motion picture classic Stagecoach. Starring John Wayne, Claire Trevor, and Ward Bond, and introducing the director of the film, John Ford.
2: That Sunday evening at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, NBC gave its first answer to what audiences could expect. The NBC Theater debuted live, coast to coast from Los Angeles, with an adaptation of Stagecoach. It starred John Wayne, Claire Trevor, and Ward Bond. In our story, it was directed by the legendary George Marshall.
19: Entertainment ...you will hear tonight and in future weeks at this time. The NBC Theater is proud to welcome the president of the Screen Directors Guild and the eminent director of such films as Variety Girl, The Perils of Pauline, and Tap Roots. Mr. George Marshall.
20: Thank you and good evening. This is the first performance of a series of Screen Directors Guild productions. <clears throat> in which the directors will personally bring you their favorite film assignments, along with the stars who created the original roles. Tonight, your director is John Ford. John, if you remember, is the winner of five Academy Awards, the guiding hand behind such great pictures as The Informer, (coughs) How Green Was My Valley, and, of course, Stagecoach. You're on the set, John.
21: Thank you, John, (coughs) and good luck on our... First production. Stagecoach is ready to roll. The last time I made that crack was about 10 years ago. <laughs> I first had the opportunity of putting on film this romance of the West. For the cast, the picture offers an array of colorful character types, ripe for the actor's talents. Now the story and the cast are united again. Here is Stagecoach with John Wayne as the Ringo Kid, Claire Trevor as Dallas, and Ward Bond as Doc Boone. <laughs> In 1885, the stagecoach was the only means of travel on the American frontier and in those days no name struck more dread into the hearts of travelers than Geronimo, leader of the warlike Apaches. This, folks, is a story of a party of people who traveled from Tonto to Lordsburg by stagecoach in 1885. It's a story still told by the Indians.
2: Stagecoach was filmed in 1939 and noted for being John Wayne's breakout performance as the Ringo Kid. The screenplay by Dudley Nichols was an adaptation of The Stage to Lordsburg, a 1937 short story by Ernest Haycox. The film follows a group of strangers riding in 1880 through the dangerous Apache territory. Among them are Dallas, a prostitute, the alcoholic Doc Boone, pregnant Lucy Mallory, and whiskey salesman Samuel Peacock. The Ringo kid has broken out of prison after hearing that his father and brother have been murdered by Luke Plummer. Buck tells Curly that Ringo is heading for Lordsburg and, knowing that Ringo has vowed vengeance, Curly decides to ride alongside his guard. Ringo and Dallas soon fall in love.
21: Well, that's how it is, folks. Geronimo's Apaches are on the warpath up ahead,
6: burning every ranch in sight. Oh. Then
0: the question before the party assembled in this stagecoach is, shall we continue?
6: I say yes. Continue.
0: But, Mrs. Mallory, should you be traveling in your condition?
22: My husband is in Apache Wells with his troops. I want to be with him when our baby arrives.
0: Madam, I am a gambler, and I admire and respect a bold gamble. But aren't you gambling with a life besides your own?
6: Oh, I forgot to tell you, Mr. Hatfield. We're getting a cavalry escort for a patch of whales. That settles it. I'm going on.
0: Count me in, of course, Buck.
6: All right. I'll go find my shotgun guard. You don't have to go no further, Buck. What?
23: Well, Curly! Well, <laughs> doggone! Now, how are you, Sheriff? Fine, thanks. And I'll be riding shotgun up next to you this trip, Buck. You? What for? The Ringo kid escaped from prison. I'm looking for him. The
6: fellow who shot Jed Michael dead?
23: I hear he's heading for Lordsburg to shoot it out with the three plumber boys, so I'll be right up there next to you, Buck, all the way to Lordsburg.
12: There comes the stagecoach. Better stand back a bit, Doc. Yeah. Stand stand out of the road there, Dallas girl. Thanks, Doc. Hail the stage brush chariot.
24: Doc, Doc, why do I have to leave town? Because because all these women here say I have to? I don't want to go to Lordsburg.
12: No more do I, Dallas. But you are a lady somewhat too hospitable to gentlemen. And I am a doctor somewhat too hospitable to spirits. We, girl, are the dregs of Tonto. They send us from their midst. Come, Dallas, be a glorified dreg like me. Ho, ho, back you have acquired two more eager passengers. The engines are rising, duck. I thank them for that mark of respect. <laughs> Tell them they may be seated now. Enter Dallas.
24: Thanks, tough.
12: Take your place beside the other lady. Then forward on to Lordsburg. <laughs>
23: Watch you driving through this canyon, Buck.
21: Well, I'm to be hard to shoot at
6: in case Geronimo's Apaches are in these hills. I'm with you, Buck. The law. Well,
21: that don't make
23: me bulletproof. Go, <coughs> oh, Kingdom High. Here she comes, Apaches. Keep your shirt on and stop the coach. It ain't Apaches. Someone up ahead blocking the road with a rifle. Oh, ho, ho. Here he comes, whoever he is.
12: What? It's the Ringo Kid.
20: That's right, Buck. Hiya, Curly. Ringo. Didn't expect to find the sheriff riding shotgun. I was heading for Lordsburg, same as you, Ringo. Well, my horse went lame, so you got another passenger. I'll take that rifle first, Ringo. That's so, Sheriff. You're under arrest for the murder of Jed Michael. Sorry, Curly, but this Winchester here says different. Sorry,
23: Ringo. And if you look back up the road a piece, you'll see our escort of United States Cavalry coming up. Oh. I'll take that rifle now, Ringo.
20: Sure, Sheriff. But you better hold on to it. You may need it before we get to Lordsburg. Thanks. You can get into the coach now. Much obliged, Sheriff. Get going, Buck. Yep.
12: Shoot it. Yep. Get it.
20: So oh, you're the famous Ringo kid, huh? My friends call me Ringo. Right name's Henry. Hmm, Henry? Well, I remember you. Say, I fixed your arm when you was just a little sprout. He's was no higher than a quart of bourbon. Well, that was my kid brother broke his arm. You did a good job too, Doc. Even if you was drunk.
12: Well, thank you, son. How's your brother now?
20: He was murdered. Oh, no. Him and my dad. By the three plumber boys. Well, good luck when you get to Lordsburg, son. Thanks, Doc.
24: Mrs. Mallory, you're tired. Would
22: you like to rest your head on my shoulder? No, thank you. Mr. Hatfield, would you mind if I sat over on your side of the coach?
0: Not at all, ma'am.
24: Excuse me. Yes, of course.
0: Right here, Mrs. Mallory.
24: Thank you, Mr. Hatfield.
20: Hmm. I must have the plague, huh, Dallas?
12: You. Oh, no, it's not
24: you.
20: Have a drink, Hotfield? No, thank you.
12: No, thank you, he says. (laughs) Have a drink, Doc? Yes, thank you.
20: You're not going to move away from me, are you?
12: No, Ringo.
20: Well, I guess I can't expect to break out of prison and into society in the same week. Shh,
22: she'll hear you.
20: I guess I'm pretty dumb for sitting down beside a lady like you, Dallas. A lady? Thanks for not moving.
24: Don't, don't, please. Why are you looking at me like that?
20: Ain't I seen you someplace before? No.
2: NBC theater creator Don W. Sharp believed writing was the most important factor in a radio show. Claire Trevor was both a film and radio veteran. She carries this opening broadcast, The sound effects were excellent, and Henry Russell's orchestral arrangement was lush.
20: I can't. Not ammunition.
24: Why have Buck and Curly stopped firing outside?
20: Buck's hit, Curly's empty too. This looks like it.
24: No, no. I have only three bullets left.
20: That's enough. The Indians won't get you or Mrs. Mallory or the baby.
24: No, no, they won't. Listen,
9: get out. No, listen. It's a bugle.
20: It's a cavalry from Lordsburg. The
12: Apaches are breaking. They're running away. Glory, glory.
20: How's Hatfield? Dead. Glory,
12: glory.
24: Well, good night, Ringo.
20: This? Is is this where you live in Lordsburg?
24: I told you. I warned you. I told you you didn't know me. This part of town is no place for a nice girl, but but it's all right for me. Now say goodbye, Ringo. Say goodbye.
20: I asked you to marry me, didn't I?
24: I'll never forget you asked me.
20: Now go on back and wait for me in the stagecoach.
24: Where are you going?
20: business with the plumber boys. I'll just take a slow walk down Main Street and see what happens.
24: Dear Lord, this stagecoach don't pass much for a church, but but I'm praying till you hear. Please, Lord, It's three to one against Ringo out there, and the plumber boys are dead shots. Awful dead shots, Lord. Like I was saying, Lord, it's two to one, Lord. He's all I got, and all I ever want. So please, dear Lord, please let me have him back.
9: Please, please, please. Oh, carry me
20: by to
24: the Who who's that out there?
9: Ringo. Yeah. You heard?
20: No.
24: I prayed for you. I prayed.
20: You did good.
24: Let's get out of here then. Escape.
20: Don't have to anymore. Before he cased in, Luke Plummer confessed he killed Jed Michael.
24: You're you're free? Yeah. And they didn't even hurt you? Dead shots like the Plummer boys?
20: Deadest dead shots you ever saw.
9: Oh, Oh, Ringo. Ringo. Dallas,
20: what are you crying for? (laughs) Nothing's happened.
12: Thus the story of those brave men, riders of the flying wagon, in the land of Arizona, where Geronimo was chief. In the great land in the desert where the flying wagon galloped, that the white men called the stagecoach, bringing brave men to the West.
19: Our stars will return in just a moment. The NBC Theater has presented the Screen Directors Guild production of Stagecoach, starring John Wayne, Claire Trevor, and Ward Bond, and introduced by John Ford. In the weeks to come, the Screen Directors Guild
2: will bring you Douglas Fairbanks... The program was meant to rival CBS's Lux Radio Theater. There was just one major issue. By 1949, the air was full of similar-sounding film adaptation shows, and none rivaled Lux.
19: Let's live a little, starring Robert Cummings.
2: Meanwhile, on ABC, game show Stop the Music's popularity was soaring. NBC moved Fred Allen up half an hour to 8 p.m. and shifted the NBC Theater to 9 to avoid the game show. Allen lost nearly half his audience in a single month. By March, Stop the Music's rating would reach 17.6,
20: while Allens fell to
2: 9.4, and Sam Spades fell to 11.3 on CBS.
21: Well, how do you, hardy frontiersmen, like pioneering in an NBC studio <laughs> instead of the Badlands of Arizona? <laughs> Very much.
24: You know, just the memory of that dust is enough to send me running home to wash my hair.
20: Abby, this is wonderful. Wayne, wonderful. What do you mean? Well, no, getting up early in the morning and arguing with a horse. <laughs>
24: <laughs> you know, I think it's wonderful that the screen director is being honored like this. He's the fellow who really makes the movie. Flea. As for us actors and actresses, well, well.
20: Where'd we be without you, Pappy? And others like you. That's right. You tell us our business. That's all I can say. Thanks. They're talking about wonderful things. It's a wonder that Pappy here hasn't
21: yet displayed his fine tyrannical <laughs> hand. How do you do? That's so war. John, now look. As long as we're speaking about fine, tyrannical hands, look. Are we going to do this again? Because if so, Uh-oh. I'd like to take you
20: first. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. You'd have something to say about it. We had that same trouble ten years ago.
21: That's right. Hey, can not go on
20: re-
24: Now, look, John, don't you remember? This is radio. There are no retakes. Good night, everybody.
19: Our thanks to our stars, John Wayne, Claire Trevor, and Ward Bond and to screen directors, George Marshall and John Ford. Also heard were Barbara Fuller, Peter Leeds, Horace Murphy, Norman Field, Dan Riss, Ken Carson, and Eddie Fields. Tonight's story was adapted by Milton Geiger, and original music was composed and conducted by Henry Russell. Production was under the supervision of Howard Wiley. Your announcer, Frank Barton. John Wayne can soon be seen in John Ford's Argosy production, Three Godfathers, and Claire Trevor appears in the soon-to-be-released Amusement Enterprises picture, The Lucky Stiff. Ward Bond is currently appearing in the Victor Fleming production, Joan of Arc. Listen again next week when the NBC Theater presents... Screen Directors Guild Assignment.
12: Production, Let's Live a Little. Director, Richard Wallace. Star, Robert
2: Cummings. By the time the NBC theater found sponsorship and debuted in the ratings in the fall of 1949, it mustered only a 4.5. Overnight, NBC's Sunday night rating Stronghold was over.
12: Don't miss an hour now of America's favorite music, old tunes and new hits over most of these stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
2: For more information on the CBS talent raids and what NBC did after, tune into Breaking Walls episodes 108 through 112.
9: I was at the Belmont Plaza
4: Glass Hat appearing in the Glass Hat. It's so funny. Frank Sinatra's mother adored me. She loved what I did in my act and adored me. And she just told me every night. She was there four nights a week, having dinner in the Glass Hat and watching my show. She said, I'm gonna bring my son in. He's gonna love you. I don't know who her son is. And Frank hadn't really hit yet. I'm talking about 42, I think. Yeah, I was 16 at the Glass Hat. And I meet Dean who was on WMCA sustaining, 15 minutes every day, five days a week. And He was staying at the Belmont Plaza because the station Owned the hotel or the hotel owned the station and he was able to stay there for nothing. He wasn't paid So therefore They would got to get him on accommodation where he didn't have to pay and he was doing fine And I met him in the coffee shop of the Belmont Plaza Hotel one day I was sitting at the counter having a very loose egg salad sandwich and I bite the sandwich and most of the egg salad is now on my shirt and tie. I look around and there's this handsome guy sitting there, hysterical. And I laughed because he laughed. I looked down, he said, lick it. So I lifted the tie, I licked it. What else do you want? Are you fixed for spit? And we met that way. And I knew the moment I looked at him that I found that big brother. I found a friend. I found someone that read me. And I was in need of someone in my life. I was alone pretty much at the time. My folks were still on the road. I wasn't married yet. So for two years, Dean and I are running into one another because they picked up my contract at the Glass Hat. I went in for two weeks and stayed 66. And I was able to put my money away. And I was making a lot of money there, a hundred and a half a week, net, with a room. And I was in heaven.
2: Jerry Lewis was born Jerome Joseph Levitch on March 16, 1926 in Newark, New Jersey. His father was a vaudevillian and his mother was a pianist for WOR. By 15, Lewis had developed a record act, miming lyrics to songs while a phonograph played off stage. To supplement his income, he worked as a soda jerk at the Paramount Theater while he honed his act. In 1943, Louis met singer Dino Paul Crossetti. They became friends.
4: Sinatra opened at what was the Rio Bamba. He got sick and they called Dean to replace him. Well, it was a great break for Dean and he went in to the Rio Bamba, substituted for Frank, I don't remember if it was two nights or three nights. Frank was out with a really bad strep throat. He did terrific, but nothing happened from that. And I was so disappointed. But, you know, when people buy a ticket to see Frank Sinatra and he's not there, they tend to be a little less appreciative. And when I say he did great, I'd have been a nervous wreck. And when Dean was nervous, you would never be able to tell. And I was really disappointed, nothing came from it. And then he was back on radio, and now it's been a year and 10 months that we've been friendly. One night, I went to Leon and Eddie's for the celebrity. They had celebrity night, Leon and Eddie's, where everyone in New York was there. It was like in a movie. They announced my name at Leon and Eddie's. And there was four people clapping, they heard my name, you know. The worst sound in chauvin's when you just hear three or four i don't know what to do sonny king is emceeing leon come on let's get them up folks let's hear it and then you heard five more i was dumbfounded so i get up thank you ladies and gentlemen i don't talk because i do a record act and i don't know why they asked for me to come here unless they thought i had my records i don't have them i'm glad to be here It's nice, everyone is glad. And I ran out of air and words, and Dean jumps up on the stage. Hey, I saw you at the Belmont Plaza the other night. You were terrific. I was, yeah, and we're working together. The audience thinks it was a setup, and we did 10 minutes, and it was incredible. And it was all about where do you get your records from? He said, from the store. What store? I don't know, but, and who carries your needles? And whatever the, I have no idea what we did. It was terrific. They asked us to come back the next Sunday.
2: Dino Crosetti was born on June 7th, 1917 in Steubenville, Ohio. He spoke only Italian until age five, got bullied for his broken English in school, and eventually dropped out in the 10th grade. By 15, Crosetti had bootleg liquor, worked in a steel mill, served as a croupier at a speakeasy, and was a welterweight boxer. Boxing got him, among other things, a broken nose and a scarred lip. He'd later get the nose fixed. Dino then worked as a roulette stickman at an illegal casino behind a tobacco shop and started singing with local bands, calling himself Dino Martini. By late 1940, he'd begun singing for Cleveland band leader Sammy Watkins, who suggested he change his name to Dean Martin. In the fall of 1943, he'd begun performing in New York, but was drafted in the military during World War II. Dean served 14 months before being discharged due to a hernia. Although they were friends for more than a year, Dean and Jerry didn't officially team up until debuting at Atlantic City's 500 Club as Martin and Lewis on July 25th, 1946.
4: Then I go to Atlantic City, I don't see Dean now. He went to the Rio Cabana in Chicago with Buddy Lester. I go to Atlantic City, the 500 Club, and a singer called Jack Randall had a strep throat. Couldn't go on, and Skinny D'Amato comes back to me and says, we gotta get another act. You got any suggestions? I said, no, I don't know. You want another singer? He said, no, no, not another singer. I said, but wait a minute, I know a singer that's not only a singer, but I also do stick with him. So you'll be getting two things, the singer and the guy that I'll do more than just a record eye. I didn't know what I was talking about. Dean had just come back from Chicago, was in New York doing nothing, and they called him. He came to Atlantic City. The first night he goes out and does three songs. The orchestra was six pieces, fife and drum. I mean, we're talking about a small little place. Sat 200 people, the 500 club. And Dean and I are doing this first show. He does his three songs, I do my three records and we're off the stage. Skinny comes backstage and says, where's the funny stuff that you're gonna do with him? I said, well, you know, we have to warm up. Warm up, huh? If in the next show, which is on in an hour, you don't do something together, you both have cement shoes. I'm eating a pastrami sandwich and I tore the bag in half And I used a pencil, and I'm writing on this pastrami bag, thoughts, thinking back to my dad, what could we do in the next show? And the stains of the pastrami are on the bag. The bag is in my safe at my bank at home, still got that bag, with the rundown of things that I'm thinking. And I'm now gonna sit with him and tell him what I'm thinking. And I did, and we went out in the second show and did two hours and 40 minutes. I had the bag on the piano, so I'd remember what next shtick was that I told him
2: about. The highlight of their act included Lewis heckling Martin while he was trying to sing, which ultimately led to them chasing each other around the stage. People loved their improvisational style, and Lewis knew that Martin was his comic equal. The first week we were in Atlantic City, I know that he's
4: marvelous and I know that Jesus Christ, if I can just give him the material to bring out all of that stuff, it would be sensational. We go to have a cup of coffee after a show one night and he orders pumpkin pie. Now picture the pumpkin pie, the wedge of pumpkin pie. I'm watching him, he takes the fork and cuts it like you do the edge of the pie, but he leaves the little piece there and sticks his fork in the largest part of the pie and sticks it up to his nose and it's licking what's now dripping all over his face. And I thought I would have a hemorrhage from laughing. It was the most brilliant, most marvelous physical, because he put his napkin on his lap. He took the fork and he's building and getting my attention, cuts that little piece as most people would take in their mouth And when he stuck the fork in the large part and moved this way, I said, you know, I got lightning in a bottle here.
2: Martin and Lewis's success at the 500 Club led to a series of well-paying engagements along the eastern seaboard, culminating with a run at New York's Copacabana Club. I know
4: we've got to build on what we're doing because the lines around the 500 Club are now hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of people who have heard word to mouth about these two crazy kids that did two hours and 20 minutes the first night. Now there's cops and there's police officers on horses. That's what happened within seven days. And now you can't get in there. I don't think we have what is commensurate with that. I think what we have is is a little lightning in the bottle, but I was a stickler on getting things nailed and locked in place because I knew from my dad that if you did that, you could break out and always come back to what you have locked in place so I was writing every night every single night and then I'd have to catch him coming off the golf course and that would be like 4 in the afternoon and I'm sitting in my car waiting for him at the country club to drive him home and tell him this stick I just wrote we did it that night and did it the next show and that night I'd write and we would put it in the next night By the time we finished at the 500 Club, we had seven hours of material, and all in order. But we broke away from it. And it was, I mean, we were getting, he was getting 100 and a half a week, I was getting 175, because I did comedy, so I got 25 dollars more. In less than six months, we were getting 6,000 a week. In the first year, we were up to 20,000 at the Capitol Theater, and 30,000 at the Copa. So it happened very, very quickly. But I had never, ever seen what looked like this quiet, laid-back man put
2: that brain into first gear on the stage. Almost overnight, the two were the biggest smash hit in clubs across the country.
12: Mary, no! God, let, let go! I simply don't. don't understand it.
25: Of course, the sound is coming from
26: the basement. It's all right, I've got you, Mr. Adam. No, no, Show me
12: what? Gotta get away from those eyes! Get away!
10: Get away! George! Get away! No.
9: Ah. Are you attracted to the dark? Fascinated by the dramatic? With a side of gruesome... And a dash of poetic justice? If your happy place is a gloomy room at midnight, then you should be listening to the podcast 12 Chimes It's Midnight. Please join us, won't you, for plays of mystery, horror, and suspense. Find us and subscribe wherever you procure your
18: podcasts. And remember, at midnight, anything can happen.
25: Say, hey, uh, Jerry, how did you and Dean get together originally?
8: We started in Atlantic City six years ago. I was doing a single, and they wanted another act, and I recommended Dean because he was my pal, and he was a big hit, and we wound up doing a double. We still don't know how it worked, but we're on radio this fall for Chesterfield again, and we're doing a big show.
25: Do you ever have any trouble with the other members of the cast?
8: Oh, we fool around a lot, but nothing I can put my finger on.
25: Say, uh, Jerry, all of us out here saw you on the Bob Hope Bing Crosby uh, Olympic marathon. Was that a lot of work? There was no work. We both went
8: on cold. We didn't plan on being on the show until the day of the show. There was no rehearsing. We went on cold and did whatever we felt like.
25: You mean you did that whole thing without a script, then?
8: The whole thing was ad lib.
25: You know, it looked at one time as though you were about to pull off Crosby's toupee. Is that right?
17: If he stood there, I'd have pulled it off.
25: (laughs) You know, uh, we know that uh, all of those little... uh, sketches that you use and those little odd bits aren't written, what's your secret for being able to throw in all of that spontaneous humor?
6: Well, we don't know. We just thank the good Lord that he gave us the ability to be able to uh, throw in all that stuff. Well, you certainly do a
25: miraculous job of it. Well, thank you very much, Dean. We've certainly enjoyed having you with us. The Martin and Lewis Show. <laughs> the National Broadcasting Company brings you transcribed the new Martin and Lewis show. Our guest tonight, Bob Hope. And featuring Flo McMichael, Mike Roy, the Martingales, Dick Stabil, and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin. <laughs>
3: What a day this has been. What a rare mood I'm in.
25: And Jerry Lewis. I
7: don't get no music.
6: I'm the singer on the show And you're the comedian Remember that? And uh, so stay in your place, will you?
7: What do you want to stop pushing me around for? The show is already even started And already you're trying to be the big man Go ahead, kick me Step on me Wipe your feet on me You're always poking fun at me
6: Oh, Jerry, stop I don't poke any fun at you Think of all the times I've defended you
7: you defended me?
6: Of course, many times You're so ungrateful
7: Ungrateful? What did you ever do for me? Give me a for instance I'll gratitude you <laughs> I found out tonight That 70-30 Isn't an even split <laughs> now, let's get back To that 60-40 What do you say
6: <laughs> Okay sure Jerry Whatever you say pal If you want 60-40 You get it Now is it alright If I go ahead And sing a song
7: You don't mind To give me the 60-40 No it's alright It's all right. like this you said And it's easy. not even a word oh. <laughs> Go ahead Sing three four notes <laughs>
3: Pack up all my cares and woes Here I go while I'm singing
2: low Bye, bye, Blackbird As part of NBC's programming development, $1.5 million was allocated towards new shows. The network's first major signing was Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. In August of 1948, they made their Hollywood debut at Slapsy Maxies. They were soon guest-starring on Milton Berle's TV show, and other comedians thought their Elgin appearance groundbreaking. On December 22nd, the duo recorded an audition with Bob Hope. Hope recorded a new set with Martin and Lewis on March 24th, 1949. Things quickly fell apart as the trio couldn't help but ad lib.
7: Land. They shouldn't do that
6: Well, why not, Jerry?
7: Sounds like the Bob Hope show Hey, Dick, it's the bell. hold it This is the Martin and Lewis show Starring those two sensational partners
6: Bob Hope and Swan Soap Thank you
7: Yes, sir, those two sensational
13: partners Bob Hope and Swan Soap The famous floater and the famous sinker <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here tonight to perform a very pleasant task. As you must know by now, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis are two young and very talented fellows whom NBC has adopted. I'm sure they'll bring you many hours of top entertainment, and I'm sincerely honored to be here and welcome to the network the handsome, talented, gorgeous voice, Dean Martin. Well, thanks, Bob, for all the wonderful compliments. And his partner, Jerry Lewis.
7: Thanks, Bob. <laughs> right, now, uh, thanks, Bob, for. Uh, I don't get no compliments.
13: Oh. Uh-huh. Jerry, is that any way to talk to Bob after he comes all the way down here to wish us luck? I think it's very swell of him. Oh, it's nothing. I didn't have anything else to do this evening. It's the maid's night off. (laughs) But I know how it is when you're starting a new show. It seems like only yesterday that I was worrying about my radio program. In fact, it was only yesterday. (laughs) Well, we, we really appreciate this, Bob we, we figured we need plenty of help to succeed in Hollywood Oh, I'm sure you're going to be very successful, Dean Well, uh, how about Jerry? Yeah, how about that?
7: <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Mr. Hope Stop making with the jokes like that You promised you'd make us seem funny
13: Well, don't worry about it, Jerry No comedian's ever going to top that top of years
7: <laughs>
13: <laughs> Tell me, who does your hair? Are you bangy? <laughs>
7: Nobody does it I just get out of bed And if I can't see anything I know my hair is cold
6: Well Jerry can't help The way his hair looks Bob You see When his parents Found him on the doorstep They threw him away And raised a fuller
13: brush sample Well that's hair huh He he looks like the boy With a green brillo What's
7: the matter with my hair It's hair ain't it
13: Are you asking or telling
7: I'm wondering (laughs)
13: Well, there's nothing wrong with it and it's just that you look like you're standing with your back to a high wind.
7: It just grows that way and I'm not standing with my back to any high wind. On the contrary. (laughs)
13: Look, Bebop... Were you born Or did your mother Miss a question On truth or consequences
7: Listen, what's wrong with it If I happen to like My hair rather short
13: Rather short What does the barber use Scissors or sandpaper Oh, the barber uses scissors But he works from the inside
9: (laughs) And he
13: he sings too, you know (laughs) Can I go now? Yeah, anytime (laughs) That's all we can get with that Go, it's all right
7: Well, it just so happens I have to keep my ass short, Mr. Hope Every time I let it get any longer than this My knees buckle
13: (laughs) It didn't pay (laughs) Can I go now? (laughs) Well, I want to tell you You boys are going to be working pretty hard from now on So, Jerry You've got to build up your strength
7: What do you suggest, Mr. Hope?
13: Put something in your pot, boy
6: (laughs) Oh, Jerry will fill out when he gets a little older, Bob You know, he's not as old as some (laughs) comedians.
13: Got another high wind here (laughs) Don't look at me when you say that, you West Point victim You're looking at a man of 31, you know No laugh? 31, 31, 31 He keeps doing it till he gets a good reading
7: Wait a minute, Mr. Hope I saw your birth certificate and you're not 31 Jerry? Don't try to stop me, Dean The birth certificate said born in 1910, and this is 1949. You're not 31, you're 35.
13: (laughs) Thank you, Joel Kupperman. (laughs) Nice counting. Did you hire an income tax man this year? or Are you leaving us soon?
6: Well, you see how young he is, Bob? It was embarrassing when we were working in nightclubs. It was embarrassing? Yes, after we
13: finished our act, Jerry would step up to the bar and order three fingers of Mead's formula with a pablum chaser. <laughs> I know, the other night he was on my show, after every joke he told, I had to throw him over my shoulder and burp him.
8: <laughs> now listen, you two. <laughs> it's all right for you to stand there and vituperate my adolescence. But I will have you know that Jared Lewis is capable of exuding as much sophistry as anyone else
13: Jerry Yes? Your safety pin is unfastened again (laughs) Yeah, and you can see the inside of your head
7: (laughs) All right, you fellas are just jealous because when I go over to Paramount, Jane Russell holds me on her knee
13: What do you think she holds me? (laughs) (laughs) Off You peaked
6: You know, Bob We envy you making pictures with all the big stars Did you have a hard
13: time getting started in the show business? Hard, Dean? Yeah You know, one time in New York I lived for six months on nothing but donuts Every time I'd ask an agent for a job I'd get so nervous I'd break out in powdered sugar (laughs) Fortunately, I had a partner who broke out in cold coffee
7: Bob, we'll always remember one thing, though. You were so wonderful to us when we first came to Paramount, when we were poor and hungry, why we couldn't even afford to split one of those fifty-cent box lunches. Oh,
6: it was nothing. Nothing? You call it nothing making us a special one for a quarter?
13: <laughs> well, I came out all right. I just used less Swan soap in the salad. <laughs> hey, you boys are making a movie now. How do you like acting, Jerry?
7: Oh, it's great, Bob. What scenes I have. What lines I deliver. What emotion I portray When one saying I say One say, saying <laughs>
13: <laughs> Start over, it's tape <laughs> Crosby starts 10 times a night Go ahead
18: <laughs>
8: I better hurry, we'll be here till Christmas
18: All right why, yes. <laughs>
7: <laughs> now, really, in one scene, I say to the girl, Bob, I say,
8: The world may think of me as a nobody, but Gwendolyn, in your arms, I'm a bird soaring up in the blue. I'm a flower pushing up my head through the soil. I'm a moth floating helplessly into your burning flame. Boy, that's emoting,
13: isn't it? How do you like that, Bob? Hello, Mort. <laughs> Terry, tell me one thing. What's that? Are you for real?
7: Now, <laughs> uh, you just wait a minute, Mr. Hope. That's my line. I don't care if you are Bob Hope. No comedian's supposed to steal another comedian's lines.
13: Okay, Runt. What are you going to do about it? Hello, Mort. <laughs>
7: Let me show you in a picture No kidding With Dorothy here tonight It must be exciting Working with her
13: Oh, it's nothing really My Adam's apple Ought to stop jumping Any day now
7: How about that scene Where Dorothy was dancing The hula She started out slowly But when she shifted Into second Wow
13: (laughs) You should You should have seen The part they cut out She was in overdrive You know, I bet That film is still Flopping
6: around On the cutting room floor (laughs) Yeah, I get the good one yeah.
13: <laughs> I had one that I thought Was pretty good But you ruined it right now <laughs> Would you mind Trying your line Once again All right You know I bet The film is still Flopping around On the cutting room floor Yeah only last week They finally beat it To death with a stick <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Say, by the way, fellas, I'm throwing a little reception for you guys tonight after your show. Oh, a reception for us? You hear that, Jerry? Yeah, can you get some girls or is this too sudden? Well be <laughs> Oh, step all of it. It's nothing at all. She <laughs> just you have just at me. Little thing. <laughs> yeah, what? Well, would you mind <laughs> You're not exactly Saratan to me, you know. <laughs> Will you please read Lampshade Head? <laughs> I'm sorry,
27: no, I'm sorry. Yeah.
13: You can cut that line out, too, I guess, too, huh?
7: Yes! Oh, my... We'll be there, Bob. The kind of girls we know nothing's too sudden. <laughs> Bye.
13: <laughs> Wait, I'll get my hat and go with you. And another thing... Another thing, fellas, it's going to be a formal party. It's formal. Yeah, bring your own pool cue. <laughs> it's really going to be a swell affair. Sounds good, Bob. Are you going to have champagne? I get a straight
6: line. Can't even get... <laughs>
13: it's funny how those strange words came out. All right, you know.
7: I don't want you guys to get upset, but I don't like how well you're working together. <laughs>
13: Don't worry, I could never match that hair I'm having trouble growing it back here now Would you mind feeding me again if you don't mind? Sounds good, Bob Are you going to serve champagne? No, I couldn't get any champagne So I'm serving 7-Up and Coke Nobody will know the difference Wait a minute, Bob No one would take
6: 7-Up and uh, Coke In preference to champagne?
7: I would, but I'm only 23 years old What do I know? (laughs)
13: This kid's really gonna live tonight. At midnight, he would be drinking Ovaltine from Margaret O'Brien's Slipper.
6: Well, it's awfully nice of you, Bob, to invite us. I'm sorry. Please. <laughs> <laughs> well, There's
7: I hope you folks are enjoying head. our career.
2: <laughs> NBC picked up the series, marketing the team as the next big sensation in radio. Their agent Abby Greshler negotiated a great deal with Paramount's Hal Wallace. The duo would receive seventy-five thousand dollars for films, and were free to do one outside film a year, which they would co-produce through their own York Productions. They also had complete control over their club radio and TV appearances, as well as their recording contracts.
13: You've got me confused. You've read every line on this page. <laughs> And after looking it over, you can have them.
6: Right. Now, try this
13: one. May I, may, I ask a, may I ask a question? I didn't get your I name. Said... <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? I'm helping to kill you, too. You might as well. <laughs> Step in, Jerry. Step in and Jerry Colonna. Yeah. Listen,
7: uh, I just... <laughs>
8: I I just wanted to tell you, fellas, that the man
2: man in the control room is laughing, but he's burning.
13: (laughs) We're very lucky if he's still with us.
2: In the lead-up to the premiere of their radio show, Martin and Lewis appeared on the March of Dimes, the Chesterfield Supper Club, the Seal Test Variety Theater, and the Bob Hope Show. The Martin and Lewis Show finally debuted on April 3, 1949. Their first guest was Lucille Ball. It had a similar script to the audition recorded with Bob Hope. And now I would like to present
6: one of Hollywood's most glamorous stars, currently gracing your neighborhood screens in Sorrowful Jones, a charming actress who gracefully combines the talents of a leading lady and comedian.
18: Now listen here, Dean Martin. Don't you say anything nice about me, you big bully. You you monster. I'll have you know that I Wait I'm a not minute, gonna... wait a minute, why you are Lucille Ball. <clears throat>
6: But, but what's the matter, Lucille?
18: Don't act like you don't know. You've got some nerve, Dean Martin, asking me to come down here and be a guest on your radio program after the way you beat up that sweet, adorable little Jerry Lewis. Why, if I weren't a perfect lady, I'd slug you. The idea, beating up that darling, cute, lamby pie.
9: Me? <laughs>
18: yes, you, Dean Martin.
6: <laughs> what well, Jerry, hey, hey, where'd he go? He's
18: behind me, where he'll be safe. He's not going to stay out here where you can knock him down again.
6: Knock him down?
18: Yes, and kicking him and throwing dirt in his face and trying to drive your car over him. I did that?
7: See, Lucille, he admits it.
18: Oh, I get
6: it. Jerry told you that story.
18: Yes, he did. I never met anyone so contemptible as you in my whole life. How could you treat Jerry that way? He's so darling and so cute. You forgot Lammy pie.
6: <laughs> Just exactly what did Jerry tell you I did to him?
18: He told me the whole story. It's incredible to me that you could pick on a little fella like that when you have such a grand physique. Uh, I mean, when, when you're so much bigger than he is. With all those great, big, powerful muscles. <laughs> you, you, big... Yes? And and the things you called him It's just hard to imagine names like that being spoken by you Why, you have that wonderful, soft, caressing voice Yes
9: Lucille, hey Lucille
18: (laughs) Will you stop tugging at my skirt?
7: I just wanted you to know I'm still here Lewis is the name, Jerry Lewis they call me
18: Don't stop Lucille, tell them off good All right (laughs) You're right Dean Martin, how could you have slugged poor Jerry When you look so So handsome With those soft eyes And long, long lashes Yes Hey Lucille Shut up, you little schnook (laughs) (laughs)
9: Schnook
18: Me, schnook the idea telling those awful fibs about this darling, cute, lammy pie, Dean Martin. I ought to turn you over my knee and spank you. Ding, ding.
3: Yes? <laughs>
7: ding, ding, ding. Oh. ding. are you going to stand there and let her talk to me like that?
6: Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, but really, he isn't bad at all, Lucille. In fact, he's a very nice guy. In fact, he's a wonderful guy. Why, Jerry is the important half of our act. He's the talent. Why, he's the one who gets all the laughs He's the one the critics rave about He's the one the people love
8: Oh, what a ham
9: <laughs> Well,
6: uh, it's sure nice of you to come down tonight And help us get, on our, get, get our first show started, Lucille I figured we need plenty of advice Advice here in Hollywood Come on, snap out of
9: it
18: <laughs> Now, I'm sure you're going to be very successful.
6: Well, how about Jerry?
18: Yeah, how about that?
7: (laughs) You'll see, I'm going to be a big star. When I make my first picture, I'll be sensational. I'll be... Well, you do think I'll be a picture star, don't you, Lucille?
18: Why not? Lassie made
9: it.
7: (laughs) If you're going to make fun of me, I'll quit the show. I'll give... give, I'll give... I'll give... (laughs) Uh. I'll give Dean all the money we've saved, and I'll go home and lock myself in a closet, kick my heels, and hold my breath until I die. And if you want to know why I do these things, it's because... Listen.
18: (laughs) Well, don't get too desperate, Jerry. Look, I I have planned a little party for you and Dean after the show. Uh, Lots of important people will be there.
12: Well, that's wonderful, Lucille.
18: Well, the only thing, Dean, uh, does Jerry know how to act at a party? Do I know how to act at a party? Why, one time in the back room of a barbershop... Jerry! (laughs) Hold it. You see what I mean? Miss Ball.
9: (laughs) (laughs) Miss Ball, Mr. Martin,
8: I would like to inform you that Gerald Lewis, when attempting a social event... attending a social event...
9: (laughs) paper, what do you want?
8: Miss <laughs> Ball and Mr. Martin, when I, I'd like to inform you that Gerald Lewis, when attending a social event, always conducts himself with complacent, elegant simplicity, utterly devoid of ostentation.
2: <laughs> but the Martin and Lewis show was a flop. No sponsor was interested in advertising such a visual team on a sound-only medium. They switched broadcasting locations from Hollywood to New York, then back to Hollywood. They also brought in new writers and characters. Nothing worked
7: i like him to be of my intelligence. Sorry, Margaret O'Brien can't stay out that late. (laughs) Well, what are your
25: plans after you finish the movie you're in now? Well, first we're
6: going down to the Dallas Fair around September and do uh, for 16 days down there. Then we're coming back and do a picture around December, our own picture, probably called The Caddy. You know, it's a golf story.
25: I can hear a lot of background noises. Where are you and Jerry speaking from now? Your dressing room?
6: Yes, we're right now in our dressing room.
25: What's the name of the movie you're working on
6: now? Well, there's a little thing called Scared Sith. It's about, well, uh, a few gangsters, and I think that I have shot someone, but I haven't. And we're going on an island, going to a haunted house, and uh, we have a couple zombies, and they scare the hell out of us.
25: How do you guys get along with your writers? Well, they're drunk all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Do you use the same writers for your movies as you do for television and radio?
6: They're all right. Yeah, we have our own writers on this script. It's a very good thing for both Jerry and I. We're always together in every scene, and we do a lot of, you know, all that crazy
2: stuff. What? Well, he did stumble his way through high school.
18: He looks more like he had to shoot his way out of kindergarten.
2: NBC pulled the plug after the September 6th broadcast.
18: Well, uh, my house isn't one of those elaborate Hollywood
9: Dean, how true is
6: the often-repeated story that Dean Martin is just a little bit lazy, prefers golf to work? No, that's an untruth, I'll tell you that. I'm so lazy that I'm doing two pictures a year, eight TV shows a year, work ten weeks a year in nightclubs, and I record for Capitol Records, and I do a few benefits. Kind of a busy laziness, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But I like to make it look easy. <laughs> Jay,
7: why don't you come to bed? You said you wanted to get in early so you'd make a nice impression on Richard. Yes, I, I know I did, sweetie, but I'm just not tired, that's
28: all.
22: My, it's warm in here. <laughs> a little while ago, you said it was cold. <laughs> yes, I know. Funny how the temperature jumps up and down when there's a man around. <laughs>
28: Irma, don't be
2: ridiculous. Although their radio show got canceled, Martin and Lewis were concurrently guest-appearing in the My Friend Irma film. Irma was one of CBS's top shows starring Marie Wilson. The movie debuted on August 16, 1949. Critics panned everything about the film, except Martin and Lewis. And the duo continued to be a smash at live shows. NBC brought the program back on Friday, October 7, 1949 the network had to allow Martin and Lewis to plug their CBS-inspired film on the air. Thirteen additional weeks with no sponsorship ensued. NBC claimed 14 sponsors wanted the duo as a TV show, but Dean and Jerry wanted to make it on radio first.
6: Interesting view, isn't
28: it? It's the one I like.
2: Park Avenue? Uh-huh. It's pretty
6: far, Jane.
28: It's not too far for me.
6: A lot of them tried, but just a few of them make it.
28: Well, I think I found a
2: shortcut. Radio and TV Life called them blind. They were a hit with all the live crowds, but something was missing over the air.
25: Say, uh, Jerry, we've heard rumors that you're uh, working so hard that you're all worn out. How is your health?
8: My health? Well, I left it at home today. Yeah, my health is fine now. My back is still giving me a little trouble, but physically I'm going to be very bad.
25: (laughs) How old are you now, Jerry?
8: I'm 26. They doubt if I'll see 27, but I'm going to have a ball until then.
25: I know what you mean. (laughs) I've been
22: average. I came from an average family. My father was a druggist, never quite a doctor.
7: There's a difference.
2: NBC seemingly canceled them for good on January 30th, 1950.
7: I don't starve, but I don't drink champagne.
9: I'm, I'm just someplace hanging in the middle. And this
19: was really the beginning of the end for radio as we knew it, John. Did you recognize that
21: early? Oh,
29: Yes. Yes. For example, I remember going out to Chicago to record a show with Jimmy Durante and Don Amici when they were happened to be in Chicago and, you know, close enough so that I could go out by train and spend the night and then come back the next night. Mm-hmm. Coming through Pennsylvania at this time, I noticed these houses all with the television antennas. Everywhere you looked, and I suddenly realized, I better get out of radio. Because here it is, even out here like Johnstown and places like that, the houses uh, way down the valley had tall antennas and the ones up high had short ones, but they were everywhere. And all of a sudden, uh, radio was slackening up, and uh, whether you like television or not, you had to get into it if you wanted to keep on working.
2: The U.S. spent the first 10 months of 1949 in a recession. Competition for advertising dollars was stiffer. There were now over 2,600 AM and FM stations. Television was becoming a serious threat. Over 100 TV stations were on the air. Only two network radio shows had ratings higher than 20. Just two years earlier, they were 15. Radio's average top 50 ratings dropped 30% to its lowest since 1937. Suddenly, the reality of radio drama's demise was staring men and women in the face, like the just-heard John Gibson who played Ethelbert on Casey, Crime Photographer. Meanwhile, NBC, ABC, CBS, and the DuMont Network reported a combined TV income of $29.4 million. But advertisers were learning that TV production costs were much greater than radio's. The extra money had to come from somewhere, and radio budgets were the likely source. Seven of radio's top nine shows now aired on CBS. But that's not to say that there weren't NBC radio successes.
15: Let's talk a little bit about Dragnet again, working with Jack Webb. Yeah. You would, were a part of his company, yes. so to speak. Mm-hmm. It was an informal company, yeah. wasn't oh, it? Oh, yes, sure. Never. It's just that he relied on these people, not meaning to, I'm sure, he didn't set out to form a group. But it was very hard to break into that little company of his. He it was looked, Vic Perrin and he looked? I think for a naturalness on the part of his. Oh actors, yes, he did. And he wanted the audience, whether on radio or television, to identify with these people, or at least to listen to them and say that is really how this. That's right. This person would sound on that. That being so, strangely, I have done some of the broadest characters I've ever done for Jack. I mean, really broad, far out characters, except he felt that they were real. Mm-hmm. What he didn't want you to do was act. As long as you could be real in whatever you were doing, that was fine. What kind of direction did he give you then with that end in mind? Not any more than he had to. Not character direction. He'd hand you the part and say mm-hmm. she's A, or it was written out that mm-hmm. way. And if you, you got too far off, he'd bring you back. Mm-hmm. And you knew what was expected of you. And he sure knew did. that you could uh-huh. do what he was looking for, That's so right. it just worked. How long did it take to do a Dragnet radio show, for example? Would it be a one-day thing? Oh, yeah. A whole day? Half a day? No, not a whole day. Not even a whole day.
19: (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent.
0: Fatima cigarettes. Best of all long cigarettes. Brings you dragnet.
19: You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. Two armed bandits have robbed a large jewelry store in your city. One of the suspects escapes. One is apprehended. He's identified as a friend of yours. Your job? Send him to prison.
2: If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes.
0: Smoke Fatima.
2: Jack Webb's Dragnet Fatima premiered Coast to Coast on Friday, June 3rd, 1949 at 10 p.m. Eastern Time over NBC.
0: Superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild.
2: It featured some of Hollywood Radio's most talented character actors, like the just-heard Virginia Gregg. It wasn't long before Liggett & Myers Tobacco signed on as sponsor. ...and redoubling its smokers. So, if you want a
0: long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action.
30: Was Tuesday, February eighth. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, Chief of Detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way over from the City Hall and it was 8.35 PM when I got to the second floor of the Georgia Street receiving hospital. Treatment room. Oh, hi. Hi, Doc. Ben? How's it going? Okay. It hurt for a while. Doc gave me an injection.
23: Six of a grain of morphine, novocaine injection.
30: The bullet's still in your shoulder? Doc's about ready to take it out.
23: As soon as I get the wound cleaned, here's the soap and water, nurse. Alcohol sponge leak. How's it look, Doctor? Well, there's the x ray. Shallow, penetrating wound in the deltoid area. Mm-hmm. Sludge. Larger than the soft tissue right here. Oh, yeah. No bone involvement. Okay, the bullet was spent. That's good. Feel okay? Sure.
30: Nurse, the thyroid applicators, please.
23: All right. Let's see now.
30: Where'd you leave Tyler, Joe? Interrogation room. Reynolds and Thompson are with him.
23: Let me have the probe, nurse. Yeah. Feel anything, Romero? No. That's it. You hear that? Hear what? Located the slug with the probe. Oh. Nice. close it. Thanks. Here we go. Oh, steady.
30: You call your wife? Oh, uh, she don't know why.
23: That is, boys. On the market for evidence? Yeah, give it to me if I will. A sterile saline solution.
30: Here to get the wound. No sign of Tyler's partner, huh, Joe? The guy got me? No, not yet, no.
23: Sterile dressings, please. How
30: long did okay. you know this, Tyler? Before he went wrong on I me. Mean. I met him in the Army, helped him line up a job when he got on. It's too bad. Sure is funny. Meeting a friend of yours pulled an armed robbery. I was just surprised, you know? Yeah, kind of. You want me to drive you home when the doc's finished? Huh? Let's go back to the office and talk to Tyler first, okay? Is that all right, Doc? no.
23: You're Staying right here, Romero, till tomorrow morning. If you haven't got a temperature by then, I might release you. It.
30: Oh, well, it's only a flesh wound, Doc. I feel all right.
23: I'm not taking any chances with gunshot wounds. If infection set in and you were laid up, I'd have the pension committee to answer to. Just staying here.
30: Sounds like an order.
23: It is. You can pick him up a p and ward tomorrow morning.
30: Okay. You gonna need anything, Ben? Yeah. A phone to tell my wife I won't be home for dinner. <laughs> His name was Max Tyler, white... Male American, age 32. Dark hair, brown eyes, medium build. Married, father of twin boys. He was a friend of mine. We served together in the Army overseas, and when the war finished, I came back to my job on the force, and Max went back to his old job. It didn't fit him anymore. He stopped working and started drinking. His wife didn't help much. Max started with small trouble, but it grew fast. On the afternoon of February the 8th, Tuesday, Ben and I surprised two men holding up a Main Street jewelry shop. Shots were exchanged, and Ben received a flesh wound in the shoulder. One of the holdup men escaped. The other one was apprehended. His name was Max Tyler. Hi, Larry.
17: Hi, Joe. Glad
30: you got here.
23: Tyler says you won't talk to anybody but you.
30: Okay, boy. Thanks for standing
23: by. Sure. I'll be outside if you need anything. Max?
30: Joe. You're in deep this time. You shot a cop. I didn't. This guy was with me. I didn't fire once. You were in on the job. Yeah. Then don't expect presents. I don't
17: expect anything, Joe. Glad you came back. I, I don't want to talk to those other cops.
30: I work in the same department they do. Same job. Well, it's easier to talk to you. What's your story?
17: I was crazy to try it. No alibis, Joe, but I, I didn't know what I was
30: doing. Believe me, I, I just didn't really... I won't buy it, Max. You told me the same thing 14 months ago when they picked you up for those bum checks you were passing. Sure, I hung some paper, but I'm no hood. Joe, you know that.
17: Uh, I was drinking. I need a dough for Dorothy and the kids. You've got to believe me. I need a break. You said
30: that before, too. I went to bat for you, got up with six months and three years probation. Now you turn up with another caper. I know, Joe, I know. I'm sorry. You're sorry once, Max, and it works, but one free ride's enough for anybody. Now, that's it. Did I say I wanted that kind of a break? I'll, I'll serve my time, Joe. I'll serve every day I owe. I and mean, then what can you tell me you couldn't have told the other cops?
17: I want to ask you a favor.
30: Yeah.
17: I know you're going to hook me on this, so while I'm doing my time, Dorothy and the kids are staying with relatives out in Eaglewood. If you're just keep an eye on them, you know, Joe. I, I don't mean dough. Dorothy can work with. Kind of watch out for them, huh? Give them a break, Joe. It's not their
30: fault. You do it, Joe. Yeah. Sure. I'll take care of it. Now, you do something for me. Anything you want, guy. Let's have the straight story. Who was the guy with you on that hold-up this afternoon? Cresta, George Cresta, you know him. Out of Folsom, short guy, black hair?
17: Yeah, yeah, he's got a room above the Red Owl Bar down on East 3rd, near Broadway. That's where he hangs out.
30: Where can we find Cresta now?
17: Oh, well, maybe there, I don't know. I'll give you a list of the places he goes. Some of his friends I've met, he sure roped me in. Said there wasn't gonna be a rough stuff.
30: You were carrying an s 38? Sure,
17: sure. When they got outside the jewelry shop, Cresta jammed the gun in my hand. I had to put it away, get it out of sight. Believe me, Joe. He wrote me into this. It sounds like an alibi. No, This but is I your could...
30: second time around, Max. It sounds like one. Okay, I got nothing coming. Don't forget about Dorothy and the kids. Huh? I promised you. Now, you want to give me a full statement on the holdup now? Anything you say, Joe. I'll call for a stenographer.
17: Joe.
30: Yeah.
17: I'm sorry.
30: I am. I believe you. We got the feeling too late, that's all. <laughs> Max Tyler was arraigned in municipal court two days later. Bail was set at $10,000.
2: CBS took notice. A month after Dragnet's premiere, they shifted Broadway Is My Beat to Hollywood and put it under Elliot Lewis's direction. For more info on the launch of Dragnet, tune into Breaking Walls episode 111. For more on Elliot Lewis's career, tune into Breaking Walls episode 113.
30: had no lead on him in the all-points bulletin containing all the information we had on
4: Kirby Bevins, host for Neo Amsterdam News. My father disappeared six years ago. I've had amnesia about our final moments,
12: until now. Boy was he irritating. I suspect he ghosted, literally. I could be wrong, but I did wake up 17 times last night screaming
0: after he said this in a recurring nightmare. Did you see that? Rippling in the air. Was he murdered? Or worse. Great. Now they're on to me.
17: Go to HellgateCity.com.
28: The next hour and thirty minutes, this program will present in person such bright stars as uh, Louis Armstrong, (laughs) Bob Hope, Deborah Carr, Frankie Lane, Gary Lewis,
14: Dean Martin.
28: Charlie McGuire.
14: Jimmy Wallington. Meredith Wilson. And my name,
28: darling, is Tallulah Bankhead.
2: On Sunday, November 5th, 1950, at 6 p.m., NBC launched a new 90-minute star-studded program called The Big Show. Each episode cost over $100,000 to produce. Hopes were high. Martin and Lewis appeared twice. This is from the December 17th broadcast. They also became regulars on TV's Colgate Comedy Hour, which had over 60 million weekly viewers.
16: ...with the most scintillating personalities in the entertainment world, brought to you this Sunday and every
14: Sunday at the same time as the Sunday feature of NBC's All-Star Festival.
0: And here is your hostess, the glamorous, unpredictable
14: Tallulah Bankhead!
28: Darlings, here we are with the big show this week in Los Angeles. Los Angeles, the city of the angels. Now, is it Los Angeles, the city of the (laughs) angels?
31: Well, to be safe, I'll call it LA.
2: By the summer of 1951, Martin and Lewis had scored with blockbuster films in That's My Boy and The Stooge and a sellout touring act. Life magazine reported tour audience members refused to leave. They began doing free shows afterwards on the hotel fire escapes. The streets were jammed with onlookers. Abby Greshler booked appearances on NBC TV's Colgate Comedy Hour, but it still bothered the pair that they'd flopped in radio. They wanted another chance.
0: Transcribed.
16: From Hollywood, we present the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis Show. Brought to you by Anderson for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis and neuralgia. And by Chesterfield, the cigarette that gives you something new. Something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness, plus no unpleasant aftertaste. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our Master of Ceremonies.
23: Good evening, folks. This is Dean Martin.
6: (laughs) I'd like to welcome you to our show. We'd like you to sit back and spend the next 30 minutes with us. We're going to sing some songs that we hope you'll enjoy. You'll hear the Skylarks, and we present a guest now and then. By the way, our guest tonight is the lovely and talented Miss Dinah Shore. Besides, you'll also hear from my undernourished partner, Jerry Lewis. And if he's a little late tonight, folks, please forgive him. You see, he's getting a haircut, and it takes a little longer than the ordinary haircut. He gets his cut from the inside. That's <laughs> and I'm almost sure that you'll know when he gets here. That's if his uh, dulcet tone type voice is in shape. And speaking of voice, I'd like uh, to see how mine's doing by singing a song I kind of think will be the number one tune real soon. So with the aid of my pizza partner, Dick Stabile, here is Bella Bella Bimba.
2: NBC hired Ed Simmons and Norman Lear, Martin and Lewis's comedy writers, to write the new program. Dick Mack was the director. NBC offered it as part of the new multi-sponsor experiment called Operation Tandem. Chesterfield cigarettes and Aston tablets and the makers of Chiclets Gum signed on. The new show premiered on October 5th, 1951, to great reviews. Dinah Shore was the first guest star.
27: There's an era about your father that people should know more about, and that's race relations. He was a pioneer in civil rights.
32: Yes, indeed. The uh, house I live in. Yeah, which, by the way, was another reason why he got into trouble because he made a
27: short subject.
32: His lectures and the short subject, The House I Live In, appearances at rallies for tolerance, made people list him as communist.
27: Taking Lena Horne to dinner at the Stork Club.
32: Unheard of, forget about it.
27: I know your father loved Franklin Roosevelt. He was his hero.
32: Yeah, that's how he got into all the hot water about the mafia and all that stuff, was because when he was supporting FDR, the conservative newspapers went after him to discredit him because they didn't want FDR to get reelected for the third time.
27: Well, your father used to introduce him at rallies. Yes. And then Adelaide Stevenson, he's always was, even though he turned Republican of late, he was always a big D Democrat before us. Big Adelaide Stevenson guy, right?
32: Yeah. Kennedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He told me he's still a registered Democrat. In
2: 1951, Frank Sinatra, at a low point in his career, didn't make a single significant appearance on radio. Rejected by Hollywood, he turned to Las Vegas and made his debut at the Desert Inn in September. Sinatra became one of Vegas's pioneer entertainers. Frank's first wife, Nancy, filed for divorce. It became final on October 29, 1951. Daughter Nancy Jr. remembered that time.
27: What did the divorce do to an 11-year-old and the oldest of the three?
32: I think the, the two things that were really sad about it was, first of all, my mother, of course, was very sad, which worried me a lot. I didn't know how to help her. I was too little. You
27: know. And there was another woman involved, right? Yes, Ava Gardner. Yeah.
32: Whom how I grew to love, that? by the way. What? Whom I grew to love dearly. And the other thing was that it was such a public thing. I mean, nobody got divorced in those days. It was a scandal, especially if there was another woman involved.
27: And your father was at the low web then too
32: sort of if you I mean, can call tra- it that.
27: he was trailing her around right yeah. she'd make a movie he'd yeah. follow he'd be at the set every day
32: we didn't see him as much then of course he was always a phone call away i remember wearing penny loafers with dimes in them you know and i always had the phone number wherever he was he always checked in with us didn't leave us alone.
27: he was a was and is a very good father, right? Very good father. An attentive father, right? You would think that someone that big gets removed from his kids. He never was.
32: No, one of the things that makes him as great as he is is his ability to listen.
2: Frank and Ava Gardner were married in a small ceremony less than two weeks later on November 7th. In financial difficulty following his divorce and career decline, Sinatra was forced to borrow $200,000 from Columbia just to pay back taxes. On Friday, January 18, 1952, the Martin and Lewis show took to the air with good friend Frank Sinatra as the guest of honor. This particular episode was a 45-minute special. Transcribed.
16: From Hollywood we present the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis show. by Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. By Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. By Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor. And by Beeman's Pepsin, the gum that's great to chew and good for your digestion too. And now it gives me great pleasure to introduce our master of ceremonies, Dean
6: Martin. Thank you, folks. thank you very much well the calendar says that another friday has rolled around which means another 30 minutes of doing or dying for dear old chesterfield's Anderson and dentine however things are going to be a little different tonight you see we've been joined by another very nice sponsor who asked us to do an extra 15 minutes so tonight we'll be around for 45 i know that peace will be shattered when my partner jay laws the velvet foghorn arrives so while all is quiet, I'd like to try a little bella bimba. Ma
3: come balla bella bimba, bella bimba, bella bimba. Ma come balla bella bimba, bella bimba, bella bimba. bella,
20: bella,
14: bimba, bella bimba, bella bimba. My bella,
20: bella, bella bimba, bella bimba, bella
9: bimba.
3: Always sing bells always ring whether it's summer or winter or spring be like the birds just at the words sing this happy song ma come bella bimba bella bimba bella bimba come bella bella bimba bella bimba bella bimba Look everywhere loves in the air Dance through the life with the devil make care Look in your heart then you will start to sing this happy song bella 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 my bella, bella, bella bimba, bella bimba, bella bimba.
9: Ma come bella, beemba, bella bimba, bella bimba, bella ben.
3: Ma come bella, bella bimba, bella bim.
6: Thank you very much. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it becomes my pleasure. Jerry Luce, how many times times must I tell her you're not
7: supposed to come out here until you're introduced? What introduced? I'm Jerry, you're Dean. How do you do? Pleased to meet you. Let's get on with the show.
9: Now, look,
6: Jerry, forget it. Forget the introduction. Now, tell me, have you finished my laundry yet?
9: (laughs) So I finish your laundry. Listen here, D. Martin. I
6: know what you're trying to do. You're trying to make
7: everybody think that just because I'm younger and I'm an idiot, I do all your laundry.
9: <laughs> you want people
7: should think I take care of your shirts and I wash and starch and dry and iron them. But it won't work. See, I'm wiser, buddy. I'm wiser. And another thing.
8: What? The lipstick mark on your blue shirt doesn't rub out. <laughs>
6: now listen, Jerry. I'm getting mighty tired of your complaining. What makes you act like such a big shot? Listen, Alfred. Alfred? I read in one of
7: them movie magazines that I'm a big picture star. Just like Oscar March. Oscar
6: March? Oscar, I never heard of him.
7: Well, that shows how much you know. Oscar March is a star of death of a salesman. Why, he may even win a Frederick this year.
6: <laughs> you know something, Jer? You're going to drive me to the bug house.
7: Oh, no, you don't, D. Martin. I'll stand still for doing the laundry, but I'm not going to be your chauffeur. Jerry,
6: driving someone to the bughouse is just a figure of speech.
7: Oh, well, that's different. Will you pay for the gas?
6: Look, now let's stop arguing, huh? Nobody wins anyway. It's like a, an immovable object that meets an irresistible. Iris...
7: Irresistible, I notice. <laughs>
6: And a movable object that meets an irresistible force. I was right. Mm-hmm.
7: <laughs> Dean.
6: What? I'm irresistible. All right, dear I give up. You win. Tell me, who's our first guest tonight? Guys,
7: Dean, we don't have a first guest, but I have an idea that I think we will find Peachy, Ginger, Dandy, Snappy, and King.
6: Um, you yeah, good boy. <laughs>
7: Why don't we do one of those tender, dramatic scenes, you know, where you sing one part and I talk the other part?
6: Well, all righty, ladies and gentlemen, Jerry and I give you our impression of a man whose girlfriend has just run out of him, run out on him. (laughs) He's trying to forget her, but everything, everything he touches we call another memory and away we go. A cigarette that bears
3: a lipstick's traces.
7: Why does that man insist upon wearing makeup?
3: <laughs> An airline ticket to romantic
8: places. Romantic places. We took one lousy flight from Idlewood to Burbank. <laughs> Even then we were grounded six times because of dust. And still my heart has wings. What happened to the mama?
3: These foolish thing remind me of you
8: We had so much to make us happy You love me despite my old clothes And I love you despite your old nose
9: <laughs> A tinkling
3: kennel in the next apartment
8: I haven't slept a wink in three days
3: Those stumbling words that told you what my heart meant
8: What stumbling
7: words? You slapped my back, I boiped <laughs>
3: A fairgrounds painted swing These foolish things remind me of you
8: Foolish things, my foot, they're ridiculous I was saying to Selma just the other day Selma, I said No, listen to this Selma, I said, you have no idea He carries on about the least little thing My lipstick traces, my airline tickets, my painted swings. So help me, I'll go mad from that man
9: You came
8: You saw you conquered me Well, I did beat you two fools out of three <laughs> When you did that to me
3: I knew somehow it had to be
8: Like I told Selma, this thing is just too big for the both of us
3: <laughs> The winds of
8: March that make my heart a dancer The winds of March indeed Why, that poor Arthur Murray worked his feet To the bone <laughs> <laughs>
3: Tell all the rings, but who, who's to answer? Oh, how the ghost of you clings!
7: You can't forget me, Bobby.
8: <laughs> These foolish things, things remind me.
6: And now we turn from foolish things to pleasant ones as we all sound off for Chesterfield. I'm the straight man, you're the wit Go ahead and do your bit
7: I can't think of a single joke, but I'll tell you what You ought to smoke Chesterfield 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 Milder, 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 milder Chesterfield That's right, we've played all over the USA From Walla Walla to Buzzards Bay
6: From Battle Creek to Old Mobile The folks are changing to Chesterfield Sound off For Chesterfield Sound off For Chesterfield Fire pack of Chesterfields. Do it Today. It's a fact, ladies and gentlemen, all over America, more and more smokers are sounding off for Chesterfield. Getting Chesterfield Mildness Plus, no unpleasant aftertaste. Smoking pleasure all the way. How about you? Enjoy your smoking. Change to Chesterfield's today. Well, folks, comes time to hit a high spot in the evening's festivities with the introduction of our guest of the evening. And I might add that I can't think of an introduction that would give me greater pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Frank Sinatra.
33: Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Dino. Where's the idiot?
6: Well, I I wish you wouldn't call him that. After all, the kid is my partner, and... We worked together for years, and, well, I'd just rather you wouldn't. Well, oh, I'm sorry,
33: Dean. I didn't realize you. Know. I don't mean to be a square, but that's the way I feel. All right, Dean, I promise not to say it again. Good. Now, before the idiot louses us <laughs> up... But... How about a song? Well, my pleasure, Dean.
34: I did an interview uh, not long ago about what I'm doing, my work, and so on and so forth. We got around to discussing people who are writing kiss-and-tell books. That's really what started the whole thing. And I said that kiss-and-tell books, I have another name for people who write those kind of books, and they're pimps and horse, because they can't write their own name to earn a living properly. They've got to lean on somebody else, and they know nothing about uh, the person of whom they've written, really don't know. They just read uh, newspaper clips, and they write a story. And fortunately and unfortunately, but more fortunately, that we have the right to say whatever we want in our country, which I agree with. I just feel that there's that element which brought about the title of pimps and horrors. Right. You told me once that people who make a living off other people's
27: fortunes or misfortunes yes. are parasites in a sense. Parasite. Why don't you respond to them sooner? When a book was written about you, why don't you come out
34: and not get, because when the personality written about doesn't come out, isn't there an assumption? Oh, I agree that there's probably a large assumption, but with advice from family members and an attorney and so on and so forth, it turned out that if, I mean, we didn't take a vote, but if we had, answering that would have lost. Would have lost? It would have lost. I mean, I wouldn't (laughs) have answered it anyway, because we would have agreed, don't answer it, just be quiet about it. I hope that she had a lot of fun with the money she made by, by writing a lot of crap that she wrote about, which really was what, it, what, what it all, most of it was anyway. How about the pain, though? How it wasn't do? too bad. Didn't harm you? No, nah, it didn't really sting me that much. I've been whacked around before. Came through pretty good. How
29: about your kids?
34: The kids, I worried about my family a lot. They never said a word. They never mentioned it. We never discussed it. My friends never discussed it. They were angry. They said, you know, that so and so and so. I said, forget about it. In six months' time, nobody will ever remember what she ever wrote about. And she can't do it again. She'll never do it again. Was it a mistake to try to stop it, by the way? It would have been a mistake. I think so. I think, I think it caused more notoriety if you try to stop it. Would you agree to that? Yeah, that was a mistake you made, huh? Yeah. We didn't try to stop it. What we wanted to do was to have something to say about it. You know, I don't remember now what my people were saying to her people because it's, that's a long time ago.
16: Well, thank you, Dean. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to know a quick, easy way to ease pain of a headache, neuritis, or neuralgia, then by all means try Anacin. Your own dentist or physician may at one time or another have handed you an envelope containing Anacin tablets. Then you already know how incredibly fast and effectively Anacin brings relief. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients. For your own sake, try Anison. Anison is sold to you on this guarantee. If the first few tablets do not give you all the relief you want as fast as you want it, you may return the unused portion and your money will be refunded. You can get Anison tablets at any drug counter. Anison comes in handy boxes of 12 and 30 tablets and economical family-sized bottles of 50 and 100.
7: Hey, Dean, is your voice changing? I heard your song and... All right, buddy, the hospital is two blocks away. <laughs> uh, now, easy, if this boy doesn't need the hospital... You're right, Dean. Hey, buddy, it's four blocks to
33: Forest Lawn. <laughs> Hey, Dean, I don't know who this guy is, but I like him This kid makes me look good, you know uh, Frankie, he's my partner, Jerry Lewis Go over and introduce yourself to him Well, all right, be sure he won't bite uh, Jerry, I'd like to introduce myself, I'm... Uh... Let Dean do
7: it, kid, you better lie down
33: Now <laughs> uh, listen, ape head, I'm Frank Sinatra
7: you mean you're Frank Sinatra to sing on radio and television and picture star?
21: That's right.
7: Hey, is it true that you stand in for carrots when they photograph salads? <laughs>
9: well,
21: well, I, I mean, uh, if if... when
7: mosquitoes bite you, do they get anything more than practice?
33: Well, gosh, I don't.
7: Hey, now tell it to you. Can you touch your hands over your head without
8: being threaded?
33: Hey, now, just a minute. How long do you think I have to stand here for these insults?
8: Just as long as we get laughs, Frank. <laughs>
6: Jerry, this is no way to act towards Frank Sinatra.
8: Yeah,
7: well... (laughs) Yeah, well, what makes you think he's Frank Sinatra anyway? If he was Sinatra, he certainly wouldn't be here with us.
33: No? Where would I be? Home
7: with Ava.
33: (laughs) You know, for an idiot, this kid makes a lot of sense.
7: (laughs) I was just kidding, Frankie. We're really very glad you could come tonight, Honest. We think you, we're real lucky to have you as a guest, yes siree. We sure are fortunate to have you as our guest. And I mean it, too. Hey, Dean. Como couldn't come?
9: <laughs> Jerry.
6: Jer, can't you show a little more respect? After all, Frank is one of our most popular singers. What did you say? I said Frank is one of our most popular singers. Uh, what did you say? What's the matter with you? Can't you hear?
7: Oh, sure. I just like the way you turn green when you say it. Don't be jealous,
33: Bobby. Dino doesn't have to be jealous. He's got a fine voice. Mm, you're a good boy, Frank. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Dean, you sound a little like Crosby. Oh, I haven't been too well. Been sick. <laughs>
7: really sing real good too, Frank. I just bought a whole bunch of your records. 82 records for 39 cents.
33: 82 records for 39 cents? Yeah, they forgot
7: to put the hole in the middle.
33: You know, one good clop I could put this kid away. <laughs> I didn't know you were that tough, Frank. Didn't you know I used to be a boxer?
7: Yeah, and I used to be a cock of Spani- <laughs>
33: Don't mess with me, kid. Where I was raised, you had to be tough. Same with me. You had to fight all the time.
7: Me too. All the time. It was nothing but fists, fists, fists.
33: <laughs> really?
7: Sure. I was 12 years old before I knew I had fingers. <laughs>
6: ah, those childhood memories. You know, I'll never forget them.
7: Yeah, I remember when I first learned to tie my shoelaces. Seems like only yesterday.
33: What yesterday? It was this morning. <laughs> Hey, you know, fellas, I wonder what it would have been like if the three of us had grown up together. I mean, all part of the same gang in the same neighborhood.
6: Well, let's roll up our pants, legs, and find out.
16: Ladies and gentlemen, although most of us would like to, it's impossible for us to return to those carefree days of our childhood. Tonight, however, through the magic of radio... Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis, and Frank Sinatra shall realize this ambition. And so, let's turn back the clock.
6: My name is Dino. Me and my pal Muscles are the toughest kids on this block.
33: My name is Muscles. (laughs) And whoever gave me that name would have his head examined.
7: My name is Jerome. (laughs) I have my head examined all the time. I'm brand new in this thing, boys. Boy, wait till these fellas see what a load of laughs I am. No kidding. I'm a ton of fun. Ha ha ha. Oh, I will speak to them.
5: Uh, Hello. Hello, fellows. Ah, uh, shut up.
7: up. Goodbye, fellow.
33: Wait a second. You gotta go home now.
7: Yeah, I'm a babysitter. I sit on my baby brother.
9: You sit with
33: the baby, not on him.
7: So how come they call him flat-top?
33: By the way, kid, how did you get that cauliflower ear?
7: I got it from beer.
33: You got that ear from drinking beer?
7: No, Dad uses it to open the bottle.
33: Uh, let's go, Dino. We only play with the tough guys.
7: Oh, well, I'm tough. You should have seen me this morning. I kicked Brownie right in the stomach.
33: Yeah, who,
6: who's Brownie?
9: My teddy
7: bear.
33: Come on, Vino. I tell you, this kid's a sissy. What makes you think he's a sissy? He's wearing underwear. (laughs) I'll handle them muscles. Look, Junior,
6: didn't your mother ever tell you the facts of life?
7: Oh, but I was eavesdropping when she told him to Dad.
9: (laughs)
33: Ah, then you do know what girls are.
7: Sure, I've seen them at parties. They're the ones that dance
33: backwards. Nah, what are you talking about? You ugly. girls wouldn't go for you anyway.
7: Yeah, well, I'd like to know what kind of girls would ever go for you.
33: You'd be surprised. Surprised? I'm flabbergasted. <laughs> hey,
7: that's funny. You're a comedian. No,
33: you're a comedian. You want to bet? <laughs>
7: I want to be ah. When I grow up I want to be a
33: sailor Yeah What would you do What would you do If somebody fell overboard I'd throw
7: them A lifesaver oh. And what
33: if you didn't Have a lifesaver
7: I'd throw them A high bar <laughs>
33: Yeah You can keep All that sailor stuff I'm gonna be a singer You wanna bet
7: <laughs>
33: Hey Dean What do you say We go down to the corner
7: huh? Yeah I wanna buy An ice cream cone See I got a dime
33: I got an idea. I got an idea. Let's go eeny, meeny, miny, moe. And we'll see who gets the cone. Hey, that's a good idea. I like that. With my
7: dime, why not? Okay, now here
6: goes. Eeny, meeny, miny.
33: Well, I get the cone.
7: What happened to Mo? There ain't no Mo. Well, here's the ice cream.
33: Go ahead, Dino. You can take the first lick.
7: Hey, 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 fell, hey, fell, hey, hey, fellows, fellows. I say that's my cone. No, no fellas, uh, don't lick it.
9: No, I, I don't
7: care if you hold it, but don't lick it. I mean, you boys are my friends and everything, but don't lick it.
6: Okay, you win. It don't pay to argue over a cone
33: anyway.
7: Yeah, let's be friends from now on sure.
33: When we grow up, we can all look back at the time when we were kids and we can say Sunday, School school days
9: Dear old golden, 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 golden
33: Oh, how we loved all those childish games
7: Spinning the bottle and kissing games
33: I was so sad when school was through When they threw me out, I felt so blue
7: I voted the boy most likely to.
6: Most likely to what?
7: I don't know, the class broke up early. How we missed those those old
9: days.
7: I broke my (laughs) yo-yo
6: While Frank, Jerry, and I play hooky for a little while, let's turn the classroom over to Professor Wallington.
16: Well, thank you, Dean. And now here's something of interest to everybody. For breathless moments, for your breathless moments...
28: Chew dentine, the gum with... Breathtaking flavor.
0: Dentine tastes so good.
28: Dentine freshens your breath.
0: Dentine helps keep your teeth sparkling clean and white.
28: Dentine, the gum with... <gasps> breath taking flavor.
19: Before you go out and always after eating, drinking, smoking,
0: refresh your breath with dentine. You'll love dentine chewing gum, for dentine has a wonderful tingling, nippy flavor that lingers on and on. It's delicious. And remember, dentine helps keep your teeth white, too keep dentine handy. You'll enjoy refreshing your breath when you chew dentine. So for breathless moments, for your breathless moments,
28: chew dentine the gum with breathtaking flavor.
9: Oh, well, thank
6: you. Thank you, folks. Well, as we draw the curtain on the first 30 minutes of our show tonight, Jerry and I want to remind you that we'll all be back, including our guest Frank Sinatra, in about a minute. So uh, please stick around and join us, won't you? In the meantime, we'd like to thank Look Magazine for the wonderful story and cover in the current issue now on the newsstands. See you in about 60 seconds. So long. (laughs)
16: You have just heard transcribed the first 30 minutes of the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis show. Brought to you by Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield's mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. By Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. By Dentine, the gum with a breathtaking flavor. And by Beeman's Pepsin, the gum that's great to chew and good for your digestion, too. And remember this, ladies and gentlemen. Stay right with us, because in just thirty seconds from now, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis will be back again.
19: Tonight, here, Seat of Violence, presented by Short Story on NBC. Transcribed.
16: Ladies and gentlemen, this special edition to the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis Show is brought to you by your local Buick dealer to celebrate the nationwide premiere of the new 1952 Buick tomorrow, January 19th. And now, here again is your master of ceremonies, Dean Martin.
6: Well, folks, I don't know of a better way to start off this special 15 minutes and having you meet our next guest. Some weeks ago, we had a young lady in our show, and we sang a tune that must have caught the fancy of a lot of people. Here is the lovely and talented Miss Carol Richards to join in a second helping of that old sock shoe.
2: This episode's rating was a 6.0. The overall season rating was 5.5. This Is Your FBI over ABC won the 8.30 time slot with a 7.2. Opposite on TV, NBC telecast We The People, and CBS's Man Against Crime starring Ralph Bellamy pulled a rating of 32. For more info on the career of Frank Sinatra, tune into Breaking Walls episode 85. Even with audiences leaving for TV, readers of TV Radio Life voted The Martin and Lewis Show their favorite comedy of 1952 while Martin and Lewis made the films Jumping Jacks and Sailor Beware.
9: Stop (laughs) shooting!
6: Thank you, Carol. It was very, very sweet. Hey, Dean. Dean, come here. I got a secret to tell you. I'm sorry, Jerry. You'll have to speak up. I can't hear what you're saying.
7: Okay. I said I have a secret to tell you. Did you hear me that time?
6: I'm afraid so. What's your secret? Well, the
7: you know, the new 1952 Buicks aren't unveiled till tomorrow, and Dean, I just peeked behind a curtain at one of the new
9: 1952
7: Buicks.
16: <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Folks, I can't really say I blame Jerry for being unable to resist an advanced peak at the new 1952 Buicks. New Buicks are always exciting news. And in times like these, when people are saying the 1952 cars will be pretty much like last year's, these new Buicks are doubly surprising. For the new 52 Buicks bring you advanced new features. Dynamic new power. Sensational new economy. Brilliant new styling inside as well as out. So don't miss the big showing. Be among the first to see the exciting new Buicks at your Buick dealers tomorrow.
6: Hey, Dean! Aw, Jerry! Why must you come out screaming like this? Why must you be so bellicose? Here now, I'm afraid I'll have to ask you to watch for language.
9: <laughs> Jerry, bellicose
6: only means audible. Don't
7: kid me, Jasper. An audible is a thing with four wheels and a woman's smash them into other audibles. Oh, no, that's automobile. Don't confuse me, Clarence. Automobile's a town in Alabama. Jerry, that's mobile. Oh, no, mobile is the oil you put in audibles.
33: <laughs> no, that's mobile oil
7: Oh, stop it, Dean Mobile oil is from the song of the opera name over your Oil oh, Jay, you... I'm going, I'm not coming back I'm no, not no, coming back no, 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 Dean Don't leave me D- Don't forsake this poor, sick child <laughs>
6: It's no use, Jer I'm adamant
7: Yeah, how's Eve? <laughs> Steve, will you do me one favor before you go? What's that?
5: Stay <laughs>
6: oh, Jerry, I have I, I, I have no more time to argue I'm expecting a very important guest The famous marriage expert
7: Gosh, you know, I forgot to tell you He can't make it tonight
6: So what are we going to do? Why
7: not let Why not let me take the part of the famous marriage expert?
6: what do you know about marriage?
7: What do I know about marriage? <laughs> one of my closest friends is married. Who?
6: Who? My wife.
9: Oh. <laughs> well,
6: all right, ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to have with us one of the world's greatest experts on domestic life. He is responsible for more happy marriages than any other living man. Direct from the Viennese Institution of Matrimony, I am proud to introduce Dr. Conrad... Von Krutz. Dr. Von Krutz, I understand you know everything about the state of wedded bliss.
7: Yes, yes, indeed. When it comes to wedded bliss, I'm a regular blister. (laughs) Tell me,
6: doctor, what do you think of divorce?
7: Well, with a good jockey, I put a dollar on his nose.
6: I said divorce, not horse.
7: Horse, that's where you get in the throat.
6: Look, we did this before.
7: Yeah, but laughs we got. Let's not fight it. <laughs> doctor,
6: doctor, I know you, you saved many marriages from breaking up. Could you tell us about any special case?
7: Well, one time a couple comes to me, he hates she, she hates he. They talk to me and all of a sudden they are having a fight in my office. Before I know it, they are beating me, and kicking me, and scratching me. Wow, what a horrible experience. It's just in a day's work to me. I stay cool like a cucumber. (laughs) I looked up as they were beating me, and stopped them with one word. What was that? Help.
9: Uh,
6: What was the most unusual match you uh, ever made?
7: Well, once I made a match that burned for 16 days. No. It was one inch long and on the head was six pounds of sulfur. No.
9: You don't understand.
7: I was referring to an
6: unusual love affair.
7: For 16 days, this match went steady with a candle. This is a usual affair.
9: Doctor.
7: What do you think of family life today? Families are too small today. Years ago, everybody had at least 12 kids. I had 18 brothers and sisters.
6: 19 children? Oh, that's marvelous. Are they all well? Oh,
7: they're fine, but mother don't feel so good.
9: <laughs> well,
6: that's too bad.
7: Well, you never know where those measles will strike next. <laughs> oh, get out of here. Oh, right. well,
6: you get
8: out of here.
7: <laughs>
6: about a few holes of golf tomorrow morning, huh? Sorry, Jerry, but I can't. You see, tomorrow morning, I've got an important date. What's that, Dean? Well, after what you told me, I've decided to take my whole family to see the new 1952 Buicks. Okay, I'll go with you. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. I saw that, yes, I know, but they're
7: beautiful. I got it. Now,
16: well, there's a good seen. idea for all of you folks. For well, remember, tomorrow morning, the all-star lineup of new 1952 Buicks goes on display at your Buick dealers. And believe you me, they're the smartest, smoothest riding Buicks you've ever seen with new surprise features you thought years away. So don't miss the fun. Bring the whole family to see the advanced new Roadmasters, the exciting new Supers, and the brilliant new specials that combine big car luxury with economy price. Yes, don't miss the new 1952 Buicks at your Buick dealers tomorrow.
6: Well, I've had to learn many songs over the years, and most of them are forgotten soon after the last note fades. But the great ones stick in your memory. Such is the case with this old favorite.
3: The song that you sang so sweetly You called it our love's refrain It's gone and i am left Completely out of the cold again. I dream that I love would linger, but just memories remain as I gaze at that ringless finger. Out in the cold again True It hurts my pride To step aside For somebody new But Deep down inside My whole world you. I wanted your arms around me To shelter me from the rain But now I'm back where you found me
33: Thank you very much. That was a real wonderful job, Dino. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Thanks, Frank. It's always a kick to get a praise from
6: another singer. Hey, Dean, Dean. Hey, Dean!
7: The horrible thing
6: happened! What? What happened?
7: I can't find Frank Sinatra. He's disappeared.
6: Jerry, Frank Sinatra is standing right here beside me. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure.
7: Good heavens, and I lost my fountain
9: pen. Hey, uh...
33: Dino, you know, before we call it tonight, how about knocking off one quick chorus together? That sounds good to me What am
7: I supposed to do while you're singing?
33: <laughs> Why don't you run out and get a tattoo? <laughs> <laughs>
9: Listen
7: here, Dean Martin He's just here once, but I'm here all the time If he sings with you, I'm going to too
6: Well, let's face it, Frankie, we got a trio Let's do a round After you,
33: my good man
6: Crazy
3: <laughs> row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merryly, row, merrily, row row your merrily, boat gently down, down the, the stream. Merrily,
9: merrily, merrily, your boat gently down the stream.
6: Merrily, merrily, Was I rushing?
18: <laughs>
33: Better save this for another day, Frankie. Good night, boys. You've both been bricks through the whole ugly mess. Good night, everybody.
14: Good
7: night, Frankie. Before we say good night, I want to tell everybody that we just heard from Marion Marshall,
8: who's in Chicago, and she says that everybody is coming through wonderfully for the March of Dimes. Don't forget, folks, the March of Dimes needs your contribution to help the many infantile paralysis sufferers throughout the country. Please give all you can spare.
6: So, until next week,
8: this is Dean Martin. And Jerry Lewis, remind you that we appear on radio through the courtesy of Hal Wallace Productions, producers of our new picture, Sailor Beware. Good night.
6: Good night, everybody. See ya.
16: you have just heard transcribed the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis Show, written by Ed Simmons and Norman Lear, produced and directed by Dick Pack, with music under the direction of Dick Stabile. This special portion of the Martin and Lewis Show has been brought to you by your local Buick dealer, who invites you to a premier showing of the new 1952 Buicks starting tomorrow morning. Remember, you'll have your first chance to see the new Buicks tomorrow at your local Buick dealer.
19: Tonight, hear Seat of Violence, presented by Short Story on NBC.
26: If you'd like to uh, pull your chair up a little closer to the loudspeaker, I wouldn't blame you at all. If you'd like to get inside the set, I wouldn't blame you very much. There's going to be some very deep breathing going on here. Old friend Monitor and Garraway are host right now to the very likes of Miss Marilyn Monroe. I wonder if I'm scared of you. Are most men scared of you? I'm not sure whether I should be frightened of you or not.
22: No, nobody's scared of me. I
26: don't know. I, I bet a lot of guys are scared of you, though, because you're such a... Institution now. Really you are. You're a kind of a national Possession. Do you feel that you belong to the nation as a whole?
22: Uh, I don't know quite what you mean by that.
26: I'm not I sure live myself. here. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it very nicely. Uh, I heard you were smart, but I didn't know.
22: Uh, I'm not.
26: Yes, you Don't are.
22: let me fool no. you. I'm not. <laughs> uh,
26: you know, you have a reputation as uh, among the great mass of people. I think it's probably the most beautiful. Uh, blonde uh, in the world, but a kind of a dumb girl because you're a beautiful blonde, and blondes and dumbness seem to go together. I think it all started with maybe with gentlemen prefer blondes.
22: You know, it's interesting um, that people associate, um, if you happen to have blonde hair, you know, naturally Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. not naturally, however, um, or if you're not out of shape in some way, Mm -hmm. you're, you're absolutely dumb. I mean, you're considered dumb. I don't know why that is. It's very, I think it's a very limited view.
26: It isn't true, sir, <laughs> I'm sure.
22: Well, I mean, it doesn't matter what the person, mm-hmm. uh, what they look like, what color hair they
9: have. Nonsense.
22: Or if they uh, happen not to be out of shape. I mean, my time's to come. Gravity catches up
9: with all <laughs> of us. <laughs> <laughs>
26: yes. Slowly, but I'm afraid inexorably, if that's the right word. Uh, I hear that you're moving to New York City to live. Is it so?
22: Yes, um, this will be my home from now on.
26: Mm-hmm.
22: That is until I retire, and when I retire, I'm going to retire to Brooklyn.
26: Really? <laughs> why Brooklyn?
22: Oh, that's my favorite place in the world so far that I've seen.
26: Sure enough.
22: I haven't traveled much, but I don't think I'll find anything to replace Brooklyn.
26: You're going to help our rating in Brooklyn about nine points. Well, uh, why, why is it Brooklyn? What, what happens there with you?
22: Well, almost everything um, I just like walking around. Mm-hmm. I think the view is better from Brooklyn You know, you can look back over and see Manhattan. Yeah,
12: that's, that's the only the, place you can
26: see Manhattan. If I'm that's your flight, the eh? best
22: view But it isn't only the view It's the people It's um, I like the streets. I guess the people and the streets and mm-hmm. The atmosphere I just like it
26: mm-hmm. Let me ask you about uh, the singing thing for a little bit. Uh, Did you, uh, well who are are your favorite people to hear sing modern music?
22: Well, my very favorite person. And um, I love her as a person, as well as a singer. I think she's the greatest, and that's Ella Fitzgerald.
26: Ah, You you fall right in the happy club. Who's your favorite man-singer?
22: Well, frankly, Yes. I have to say Frank.
26: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's as easy as that.
22: <laughs> However, he didn't used to be. It's the way he sings now. I know when oh, I was yeah. a kid in, you know, junior high school and high school, and he was sort of uh Bobby Sox mm-hmm. idol. Even though I was in Bobby Sox, he wasn't my idol. It isn't until recently. I think his whole style and... Um, I don't know. There's something that's changed he drastically. He's up big. He matures somehow. The,
26: the sound that he makes now is such a big, round. Well, it's his sound.
22: style. To me, it's his style. When it comes to sound, I like Sammy Davis, too. But
7: Frank's style, he can't beat it. Hey, Jerry, you got a cigarette? Have I got a cigarette? <laughs> Dean, I've got these cigarettes.
6: You mean Chesterfield?
7: I mean Chesterfield.
6: Well, I'm with you. Which means that Chesterfield,
0: first cigarette with premium quality throughout in both regular and king size, brings you the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis Show.
31: Chesterfield is set for you, so here's the thing for you to do. Buy your smokes the modern way. Regular, king size. Today. Sound off for Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Try a pack of Chesterfields.
28: And do it. Today.
0: And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to bring you our master of ceremonies, Dean Martin.
9: Thank
6: you. high, everybody. Tonight, our Chesterfield carton is just full of regular and king size surprises, especially for my partner, Jerry. You see, though he does know we're supposed to give out the famous Red Book Awards to some special guest, he doesn't know that our own extra special guest is Marilyn Monroe. That's right. Now, let's start the show rolling with a fitting theme song. You'd be surprised.
14: So good in the crowd, but when you get
2: her alone, you' be surprised. Marilyn Monroe broke through as an actress in 1950 with small but acclaimed roles in All About Eve in the Asphalt Jungle. She was then a mistress of Johnny Hyde, head of the William Morris Agency. Hyde negotiated a seven-year contract with 20th Century Fox, and then unexpectedly passed away of a heart attack. In 1951, Monroe had supporting roles in three Fox comedies. As Young As You Feel, Love Nest, and Let's Make It Legal." With her star on the rise, she received several thousand fan letters a week, and was declared Miss Cheesecake by the army newspaper Stars and Stripes. In early 1952, as she began a much-publicized romance with ex-Yankee Joe DiMaggio, Monroe revealed she'd posed nude in 1949, thus getting ahead of the scandal and gaining sympathy from the public. She explained she'd been broke and needed the money and was soon featured on the cover of Life magazine as the talk of Hollywood. Gossip columnist Hedda Hopper declared how the cheesecake queen turned box office smash. Wanting to improve her acting, she studied hard with Michael Chekhov. Two of Monroe's films, Clash By Night and Don't Bother To Knock, were released soon after to capitalize on public interest. The films showed her range, as she played a fish canary worker in the former and a disturbed babysitter in the latter. In Howard Hawks's Monkey Business, she played a secretary opposite Cary Grant. In o. Henry's Full House with Charles Lawton, she appeared in a passing vignette as a 19th-century streetwalker. Monroe added to her sex symbol reputation by wearing a revealing dress when acting as Grand Marshal at the Miss America Pageant Parade, and told gossip columnist Earl Wilson that she usually wore no underwear. By the end of the year, gossip columnist Floribel Muir named Monroe the It Girl of 1952.
6: Well, friends, lots of people ask me about my partner's childhood. Now, let me tell you that Jerry had it plenty tough as a kid. He had to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and walk 20 miles through snow and rain to get to school.
7: Yeah, that's why I never went.
6: Jerry Lewis! <laughs> I think we'd all like to know more about your background. You came from a theatrical family, didn't you?
7: Dean, I'll have you know I was born on the stage.
6: Really, Jerry?
7: Yes, and it went over so good my mother kept it in the act.
9: Well,
6: sure wish I could have seen your act, Jerry. It
7: was really great, Dean. My father used to come out and juggle 16 plates with his left hand.
6: what did he do with his right
9: hand?
7: Pick up the pieces. <laughs>
9: <laughs>
7: and what was your
6: mother's uh, contribution to the act?
7: Oh, she was a great sword swallower She used to swallow a sword five feet long well,
6: What's so great about that?
8: Mother's only four feet tall
6: Oh, <laughs> yeah. and what's your mother doing now?
7: She worked for the park department She walks around picking up papers <laughs> I'll bet you
6: were the star of the act, though, Jer
7: You're so right, Deanie, darling mm. <laughs> You see, Dad used to balance me at the end of a six-foot pole But one day the act broke up.
6: What happened? Did you fall?
7: No. The pole ran off and got married.
6: Then
7: there
6: were just the
1: three of
7: you. Yes, after that we did a magic act. Dad put me in a basket and sucked swords through
1: it. (laughs) Swords? And uh, what did you do in the act? Bleed. Bleed. Well, that's figured, that's
14: figured. You should
7: have seen it, Dini girlling. Ooh,
14: yeah.
7: Renowned for Dad used to put a balloon in my mouth and shoot it out with an arrow at a distance of six inches.
6: Well, that isn't much of a trick. Shooting a balloon out of your mouth with an arrow at a distance of six inches.
7: Through the
5: back of the head?
9: No. <laughs>
5: with an arrow sticking
7: out of your head, what did you do? Help my mother pick up papers. Oh. <laughs>
6: mighty nice of you to lend your mother a helping head <laughs> Must have been wonderful, dear Mother, father, and son working together What was the name of the act? The
7: Flying Thing. Oh, all right
6: <laughs> yeah. I read somewhere that when you grew older You did an act with a train seal that dived into a tank of water
7: Yes, indeed, indeed, I did, me) <laughs> We laid off for five years until one day we got a break and opened at the palace the first show, the seal dived into the tank and drowned
6: Drowned? How come?
7: He hadn't worked in so long as so he got out of swim oh. <laughs>
6: that, There was a lot of sorrow in the family, huh, Jerry? Yes, sir, rebuff. <laughs> Take my brother Bernie, for instance Is that the brother who is 28 years old and already can say dada?
9: <laughs> <laughs> no,
6: Bernie's the stupid one.
7: Oh.
9: Right. <laughs> the
7: one whose head grew to a point because of an accident Bernie's head grew to a point because of an accident. Yeah,
2: when he was a baby, he fell into an ice
7: cream cone. Oh, and what's Bernie doing now? Helping mother pick up papers.
0: When you're asked to try a cigarette, you want to know and you ought to know what that cigarette is meant to people who smoke it and who smoke it all the time. For almost a year now, a medical specialist has given a group of Chesterfield smokers thorough examinations every two months.
2: When Niagara was released in January of 1953, women's clubs protested it as immoral, from smoking in some scenes, Monroe's body was covered only by a <inaudible> sheet or towel, considered shocking by contemporary audiences. The film's most famous scene is a long shot of Monroe from behind, walking with hips swaying. Audiences turned out in droves. And next month, Marilyn Monroe was the guest of Dean & Jerry's February 24, 1953 episode.
6: And now, folks, comes the real special part of our program, the happy time when we introduce our guest star. Of course, tonight it's especially happy because we have Marilyn Monroe. As I told you, Jerry doesn't know about it, so it's going to be a complete surprise. And uh, here comes Jerry.
7: Dean, who is it, Dean? Who? Our guest, Dean, who? Is it? Guest, our who?
6: Well, I'll give you a hint. If I were an artist, I'd like to do her in oil.
7: You'd like to do her in oil? Yeah, now who's
6: our guest star? sardine A shot
7: Look,
6: you take the most beautiful legs in the world The most beautiful figure in the world And the most beautiful face in the world And put them all together Now what you got?
7: The ugliest woman in the world How come? You got me so excited I put everything in the wrong place Well
6: This girl has everything in the right place Jerry, every once in a while a meteor flashes through the skies and falls into the ocean. Fortunately for us, the ball of fire we have as our guests missed the ocean and landed at 20th century fox. So, I give you the two most exciting words in the modern dictionary. Marilyn Monroe! Thanks, Dean. That was a very flattering
9: introduction.
6: Well, you deserve it, Miss Marone. Dean,
28: look at your script. It's Monroe.
6: I'm looking at you, It's Marone. <laughs> right, Jeff?
8: do
7: not not any daddy.
28: Get a load of the
7: dress she's wearing, Dean. Two armholes loosely tied together. Howie, what
28: a dress. Oh, it's nothing much. Just, <laughs> just something I threw on.
8: You almost missed, didn't you?
9: <laughs> yeah
28: Please. Thanks, boys Do you really think this gown does something for me?
9: Yeah, yeah, yeah Well, it does a
28: lot more for us What is
6: well, what is it made of?
9: Silk?
28: <laughs> As a matter of fact, it's just plain cotton
7: Cotton? I see more cotton on the top of a bottle of aspirin <laughs> I'd better
28: talk to the wardrobe mistress about this dress. It's so tight, I nearly wore myself up putting it on.
6: Poor girl, Uh, are you all in? Gosh.
9: Well, gosh, I hope so. Gee, Miss
28: Monroe, even I saw your last picture in
7: Niagara. It was a darb, a positive (laughs) darb. What?
28: What was the audience reaction to the picture in the theater?
6: After your first scene, uh, they served the Hershey bars in Dixie cups <laughs> Yes? You better concentrate on a script Your turn?
7: Oh!
9: <laughs> <laughs>
7: we had a cocktail party at my house with a bartender and everything And we showed home movies of your picture, Miss Monroe Now, you're not going
28: to tell me that when I came on the screen that the ice and the drinks melted
7: Oh, no, that would be silly (laughs) (laughs) The bartender melted
28: (laughs) Oh, you fellas are just kidding Remember the scene where you were kissing your boyfriend? Yes
7: Right in the middle, my canary threw himself at the cat Uh, Miss Monroe, if you go out with me after the show I'll buy you a bottle of perfume
28: You're wasting
6: your time, time. dear Marilyn would rather go out with somebody like me
28: That's right I'm a blonde and I like to go out with tall, dark, handsome men. You see, opposites attract.
7: Then you'll love me, I'm just the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Look,
28: Jerry, you're a man and I'm a woman.
7: Now that we've chosen up sides, let's play.
9: (laughs) Fuck you
28: give up,
6: Jerry. Marilyn prefers me. I've gone out with women who wouldn't even look at you. So what, I've gone out with
7: women who wouldn't look at me either.
28: Okay, Jerry Supposing I do go out with you What'll we do?
7: Well, we get in my car And drive up Lookout Mountain
28: And when we get to the top Yes Look out! (laughs) No, Jerry If I went out with you It might get into the newspaper And you know how some newspapers Will do anything for a story
6: Well, we do know about That type of newspaper, Marilyn But we can paint a better picture If we dramatize it So, Fenneman? Start dramatizing.
0: The Chesterfield, and by the carton players, present Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis, and Marilyn Monroe in a dramatic newspaper yarn. It's the story of a cold blooded newspaper editor who has no friends, but who is loved by Marilyn Monroe. Entitled. So who needs friends? You know, this
7: is the morning hangover, Editor Lewis speaking. What? Just a minute,
0: I'll get the press room Hello, press room What is it, Chief?
7: Quick, tear out the front page. Why? My mother just bought a new garbage pail And she needs something to line it with
28: <laughs> Hello, Chief Tell me, baby doll, what's cooking?
7: I am, get off my lap <laughs> I've
28: got a headline for you, Chief Noted doctor advocates fish breeding for a hobby
7: Too long. Cut it
28: down. What did I say? Surgeon, urgent,
7: surgeon,
6: (laughs) merchant. Come on, baby. Give us a kiss. Editor Lois, I'm the publisher of this paper, and I'm not paying you to kiss our star report. Spending all your time kissing her doesn't increase our circulation, but it increases mine.
28: (laughs) I, I can explain, Publisher Martin. I just came in to show him the wardrobe I'm going to take along on my vacation. This is my hunting outfit.
6: Hunting outfit? But that's a strapless, and backless gown. You don't know your clothes. You don't know
28: what I'm hunting.
9: <laughs>
28: I
6: should have known better than the Hire Woman Report.
28: Just a minute, sir. I'm a newspaper man. I'm not a woman. You're not? I think we've got a scoop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, while I'm on this paper, I don't want to be thought of as a woman. I want to be thought of as a man.
6: Okay, but. I hope we get adjoining lockers at the Y
28: Yeah, no. <laughs> no.
7: Morning, hangover Oh,
0: Chief You remember Detroit Danny?
7: You mean a gangster who was almost beaten to death last week With a bag of wet chicken livers? <laughs>
0: yeah, we well, was shot to death And I found a slug That slug is evidence
7: Bring it right over
0: here I can't, I use it to make this phone call
9: (laughs) I
8: know how Detroit Danny got knocked off He was trying to blackmail Eskimo Eddie
28: Chief, if you print that story, Eddie will kill you And I'll be alone
6: want a bet? Chief,
9: darling,
28: don't do it Kiss me, kiss me, kiss me Ah,
9: stop your nagging (laughs) (laughs) I don't
28: want you to get killed I'm a woman and I want loving arms around me
8: Don't worry, if I'm killed, somebody will come along tomorrow
28: Yeah, but what am I going to do tonight? (laughs) I don't want you, Mary Give up your job and I'll marry you But what other work could I get?
6: Well, don't worry about it, kids You're young, you can always live on love
28: Yes, give up your job and we'll have kisses for breakfast Kisses for lunch Kisses for supper
7: Gosh, kisses for breakfast, kisses for lunch, kisses for supper. Okay, it's a deal, baby. But I'm warning you. About what? Don't ever let me catch you having any meals out.
0: Chesterfield is the first cigarette to offer smokers premium quality in both regular and king-size. King-size Chesterfield contains tobaccos of better quality and higher price than any other king-size cigarette. Chesterfield is first to name all its ingredients. Ingredients that make the best possible smoke. And Chesterfield gives you this scientific report. No adverse effects to the nose and throat of a group smoking only Chesterfields. So enjoy your smoking. Change to Chesterfield today. Much milder, with an extraordinarily good taste.
6: You know, there's a familiar saying that goes, ask a silly question, you get a silly answer. But somehow, when you set the question to music, that's the chorus of another color, an all-time favorite. For instance...
25: How much
3: do I love you, well I'll tell you no lie, how deep is the
9: ocean,
3: how high is the sky, how many Time
14: today, do I think of you?
31: How many roses are
9: sprinkled with dew? How far.
3: journey from here to the stars, and if I ever lost you how much would I cry how oh,
6: of time on our Chesterfield calendar. Or I should say, Red Book time, because here in the studio with us tonight is the editor of that fine magazine to make some very special awards. So let me happily make way for Mr. Wade Nichols. Thank you, Dean.
35: For 14 years now, Red Book magazine has annually honored outstanding Hollywood personalities for their contributions to motion picture art. This year... Reflecting our magazine's identification with the interests of young adults, we're unusually happy to make our Silver Cup Award to a group of the young people who brighten this industry's movie screens and its future. So, to the winners in five categories of talent, Red Book Magazine salutes the youth of Hollywood. You know, not every American family is blessed with a champion in the home, so when we come across a family that's blessed with two, we've really hit the unusual. Here they are, the youthful stars of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Everything I Have is Yours, elected by Redbook as the best young dance team, the mighty talented Mr. and Mrs. Marge and Gower champion.
28: I hope we can always dance as brightly and happily as my heart is dancing now at receiving your award. How about you, Gower?
35: Well, all I can add, dear, is thank you. Thank you very much, Wade. In the play, the member of the wedding, opened on Broadway, the critics unanimously hailed our next awardee as a great new and fresh dramatic star. Her performance in Columbia Pictures' version of this play has just won her a nomination for Hollywood's Academy Award as Best Actress. But much before that nomination, it was Red Book Magazine's pleasure to honor as the best young actress the well-deserving Julie Harris. Julie is on tour, and she speaks to us from Cleveland.
28: I am deeply appreciative of this great honor, and I'd like you to know how disappointed I am that I cannot be with you tonight to accept in person the Red Book Award which means so very much to me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart.
35: The foreign field of show business never yielded a lovelier, more charming, or able young star than the girl whom Red Book honors now. She scored a hit at first sight, and we're sure she'll score a good many more as the years go by. For Best Young Foreign Actress... Here's lovely Leslie Carroll.
31: Thank
28: you very much, Mr. Nichols. Thank you. You know, I've learned a lot of new words since I came to America, but I don't know how to say how happy I am about this honor. Thank you very much. Good night.
35: When it came to the category Best Young Box Office Personality, the winner was obvious. This young gal proved the box office bonanza to 20th Century Fox Studios. He has a mighty cute, golden, glittering and glamorous bonanza. He is Miss Marilyn Monroe.
9: Thank
28: you, Lee. Appearing on the show tonight and getting this great honor, well... Leave me sort of breathless. Thanks and many.
35: What can I say about our next award winners? Webster, Funk and and even the Greeks would be at a loss for words to describe their amazing and amusing antics. Here they are, the best young comedy team, north, south, east, and west. The Hal Wallace, Paramount stars, Dean Martin, and Jerry Lewis.
6: All right, you you say it, Jerry. No, you say it, Dean. I'll tell you what. We'll both say it. You ready? Ready. Mr. Nichols. Mr. Nichols. Ladies and gentlemen, we are very proud tonight to be able to receive... We are award. very
7: proud to, must, to Jerry, be able to receive Jerry, this wonderful Jerry,
6: award.
7: Jerry! What's
6: the matter? Was I going too fast for your <laughs> No, but seriously, Jerry and I are really proud to get this honor. Aren't we, Jerry?
8: We certainly are, Dino. Our most sincere thanks go to Mr. Nichols and Red Book Magazine. We also thank all the guests who appeared with us tonight. And as for Marilyn Monroe, thank you on behalf of Dino and myself for being a
6: wonderful guest. Jerry and I will be back next week. Don't wait till then to try our Chesterfield.
0: Chesterfield is the first cigarette with premium quality throughout in both regular and king size. And Chesterfield is a cigarette that gives you scientific evidence of real smoking pleasure.
8: We know Chesterfields are best for us, folks. You try them. You'll find they're best for you. So until next week, this is Dean Martin. And this is Jerry Lewis saying... Good
7: night, everybody. God
8: bless you
0: just heard transcribed, the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis show, produced and directed by Dick Mack, written by Arthur Phillips and Austin Taylor, with music prepared and conducted by Victor And this is George Renneman reminding you to listen to Chesterfield's award-winning show, Dragnet, Sunday night on the same NBC
9: station.
0: Tonight, visit 79... 79-
32: Hey there, listeners! We're the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories Podcast, two sisters and Marvel fans who discuss all things Marvel content, including the Disney Plus shows, the movies, fan theories and predictions, Marvel news, and other hot topics in the MCU. Join us each week when new shows are airing on Disney+, Plus, as we break down our thoughts on each episode, predictions about where it's going next, and potential implications for the wider MCU. We also share predictions and reactions to all MCU and MCU-adjacent movies, and tackle other fun topics on a bi-weekly basis when there aren't any shows airing. You can find Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories on your podcast platform of choice, or check out our blog at Talk letstalkmarvelfantheories.wordpress.com. So come along for the ride, because Marvel just blew your mind, so let's talk about it.
9: From Kansas to Pennsylvania
7: Soon developed that movie mania Riding their jalapes through the dust And move to Hollywood on bus.
0: There's music and mirth all over the map As the boys take off on the transcontinental gal chase That will keep you in the state of hysteria There's mania in Pennsylvania When a Great Dane goes off with their car lucky day in Iowa when they bump into Pat Crowley, the
9: prettiest pickup any picture could ever
14: give you. I drink like you drink, and I don't know how much you drink. I couldn't have stayed in this business 50 years if I drank as much as they say I drink. People don't realize that, but they want that. You cannot Mm -hmm. work if you're drunk. I walk on stage with about that much apple juice. They think that's bourbon. Now if anybody a singer especially drank that much in one go. Not only could he not sing, he couldn't talk.
6: Real great, Dean Just wonderful Well, thanks, Gloria And thanks for giving our sign-off For the summer Such great trooping Yeah, Miss Graham Say, how's about having a date With me tonight after
7: the show? Well, I'm sorry, Jerry But I expect to be tied up That should make it more fun
6: <laughs> 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 we're, we're going to be tied up tonight, too, Jerry after... we got to unpack all the presents We bought in Europe
18: I certainly envy you fellows You picked a perfect time When you went to Europe Ah, to be in Scotland when the heather is in blossom.
8: Ah, oh, to be in Smirnoff when the vodka is in bloom.
18: <laughs> well, anyhow, thanks for inviting me on your program.
6: Our pleasure, Gloria. We want to thank you for coming.
8: That's right, Gloria, and we also want to thank all those nice people connected with the show for having made this season such a happy one. Plus, of course, a deep bow of gratitude to our wonderful audience.
6: Yes, thanks. All you cats and hound dogs, it's been real crazy.
18: <laughs> well, I've got to run, fellows. Good night, Dean and Jerry. Good night, Gloria. and thank you.
6: Before we go, we'd like to wish all you folks a happy summer and a great vacation.
8: And when the big day comes, remember us and toss a couple of cartons of Chesterfields in your bag.
6: Either way, regular or king size, they're a swell-tasting smoke, and they're best for you.
8: Yes, for your best vacation, take along premium-quality Chesterfield. You'll like them.
6: So until next fall, this is Dean Martin... And
8: Jerry Lewis saying good night and thank you, everyone.
0: Hollywood, you've just heard transcribed, the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis Show, produced and directed by Dick Mack, written by Arthur Phillips and Austin Kalish, with music prepared and conducted by Dick Stabile. And this is George Fenneman wishing you a happy summer for Chesterfield.
2: By the summer of 1953, network radio was allocating increasing time to local affiliates. Here's why budgets were shifting to TV. The final episode of The Martin and Lewis Show aired on July 14th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Gloria Graham was the guest. Opposite on CBS, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar aired starring John Lund.
0: Try new Fatima. See how smooth it is. Fatima is made by the makers of Chesterfield, Liggett and Myers, one of tobacco's most respected names. Tonight, visit with Cousin Willie
1: on NBC.
2: Dean and Jerry made six more films together. Their last was Hollywood or Bust in 1956.
14: I had to. I was getting tired of doing the same thing with Jerry. Nobody was paying attention to me, and I knew it. I was just a straight man, but I loved it for only one reason. I never had to learn dialogue, because he would say, I think I'm going down to the drug store, and i say, oh, you're going to the drugstore?" I just repeat. All oh, straight men always repeat what the comedian says.
2: During shooting in 1956, their mutual animosity reached the point where Lewis would only speak to Martin through director Frank Tashlin, and Martin told Lewis he was nothing but an effing dollar sign. After the film completed principal photography on June 19th, their breakup was widely reported. They fulfilled their contractual obligations with a farewell engagement at the Copacabana Club. Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis's last appearance was on July 25th, 1956, exactly 10 years after their first teaming in Atlantic City. Well, the breakup was inevitable, and I
4: spirited the breakup. I was really responsible for breaking it up because I knew that it was going to have its finality very quickly. Simply because if the tables were turned and I was Dean Martin and Dean was Jerry, we'd have split up maybe five years earlier. See, Dean was an incredibly patient man and incredibly understanding in that we opened at the Copa and they wrote a full page review about Jerry Lewis. I don't know that they mentioned Dean other than he sang a few songs. And he took that kind of treatment for 10 years. Jerry's the guy, Jerry's this, the silly kid, Jerry, Jerry. Jerry's the businessman, Jerry writes, produces whatever, and it was always Jerry. I couldn't have taken that. Wait a minute, I'm here too. The most underestimated great talent in the history of show business was Dean. He took it for 10 years. And then finally, he just wanted to get out on his own and do his work and be acknowledged for that work. To forget that he sang and mention only the crazy stuff they did together, that's terrible. And it was unfair. And I said, this is going to explode before too long. And I went to Dean and I said, look, we're not getting along now only because there's some undercurrent here where you would like to just step out and be acknowledged as an individual performer with talent, and you are. And I want to do some other things too. Let's just wrap it up. And I got the perfect time. We go into the COPA, we close on the 25th of July, let's make it 10 years to the day, and we did. We had $250 million in contracts the day that I approached Dean about, let's just stop it. You know, it was the best thing we did for both of us.
2: Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis didn't speak again privately for 20 years. Although both continued to thank each other publicly, like in this Dean Martin interview with Edward R. Murrow from 1958.
23: Dean, what do you regard as the biggest break of your life?
6: Well, outside of meeting my wife, Jeannie, I, I think the biggest and the most wonderful break of my life was meeting Jerry, Jerry Lewis. We had 10 wonderful, great years, and I enjoyed every, every minute of it, and I think that was a real lucky, lucky break for me.
2: They crossed paths that year when Lewis was a guest on Eddie Fisher's TV show. Martin jumped out from behind a curtain with a memorable line The crowd and Lewis couldn't contain their affection.
8: Let me do what I have
6: to do. Will you do me what? a play? Let, me do do. Let
8: me do what I have to do. Jerry, I, I would be very. Just don't, just don't sing. Do what I <laughs>
6: Dean, I've been told by more than one of your friends here in the East that you only sing one song in your latest picture. How come? Well, this is a straight dramatic role. Incidentally, they they have taken the song out of the picture, and uh, there are no songs in it at all now. And it's just a straight dramatic thing. And uh, well, it's uh, my first try, and we hope it's fine. It's with Marlon Brando and Montgomery Cliff and the Young Lions, which will be out in March. Or well, maybe this will be the start of a whole new career.
2: Free from Lewis, Dean Martin became a huge star, both as a recording artist and as a movie actor on his own and as a member of the Rat Pack. He also hosted his own hugely successful TV variety series, The Dean Martin Show, from 1968 through 74. Lewis remained with Paramount Pictures, appearing in and directing a succession of commercially successful films, at one point, becoming Paramount's biggest star, he continued philanthropic work, which led to mutual good friend Frank Sinatra finally reuniting the duo on live TV during Jerry Lewis's 1976 Labor Day Telethon. Listen,
34: I have a I have a friend who loves what you do every year, and who just wanted to come out. We just send my friend out, please. Where is he? We just send him out here. Come here. This here. Break it up. I think it's about time, don't you? And thank you. Yeah, I think it's about time. We... Well, we... Fo-
6: you son of a
33: <laughs> should have been a Jew that did it. <laughs> we could whip the world without the guns of Navarro.
34: Hurry up, folks. I don't
9: know.
8: How you been?
6: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it seems like uh, we We haven't seen each (laughs) other uh,
8: for 20 years. (laughs) Well, you know, there was all those rumors about our breaking up, and then when I started the show and you weren't here, I believed it
34: show you guys to your room. If you like, the lights are out upstairs, so follow me if you like. Know.
14: Oh, he drinks a lot, this kid.
34: Uh,
29: so, you working? I work
6: six weeks a year at uh, the Megum. <laughs> the Megum? <laughs> <laughs> and six days, I do a roast, and... Uh, Would you excuse us a minute? <laughs>
34: I want
33: to see the wires are all right. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, it's nice to see you. Okay, no I'm story. over here.
9: Right.
6: <laughs> no, I was, I had to, I had to come in because I, I had to, you know, I had to go and this was the closest place. <laughs> you always have
4: to go. I always drink, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It was your
6: life. I got to get, <laughs> get you off
33: somewhere. You better get out of here. I, I got off last night. No, no, no,
6: no,
14: no, 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 no. no
33: we got
9: We're
34: gonna... We have a meldy. we we got a meldy melody. Melody to do. A meldy, melody melody, yes.
33: Together?
2: Yeah, goodbye, yeah. Jerry. Oh, okay. So long. It's been nice to see well, you, Jerry. there
33: we go again. Goodbye,
34: folks.
2: They embraced with Lewis in tears, and their friendship finally renewed. Both claim they spoke every day from then on.
34: Thanks for coming over. <laughs> I didn't mean to like you, oh. but you're on. Uh, me? Yeah.
14: I can not give you anything but love, baby.
34: That's the only
2: Well, that brings our look at the Martin and Lewis show to a close. Incidentally, we'll be staying with this energy next month. I mentioned earlier that Dean made films with the Rat Pack. Frank Sinatra was also a member. Some people call Frank the leader. Some others have incorrectly attributed him as the founder of this crew. But our focus in Breaking Walls episode 140 will spotlight the true creator of the Rat Pack.
9: First speaker
31: this afternoon unfortunately couldn't be here. But it's somebody I think that Mr. Bogart knows very well. And uh, although the speaker is not here, the recording speaks for itself. This is Lauren Bacall. Yes, Mrs. Bogart, the uninvited guest. You rat bastard. Bongy told me that the prize was giving election, don't like Delighted. Well when he told me that I couldn't attend because it was a stag, but well, I sure was disappointed. I said Boggy, why can't I go? He said maybe it's gonna be a little rough. You know how men act in a stag. So that's why women aren't allowed. See? Well I was furious. In fact, I was goddamn mad. What the hell can the fire say that you haven't called me?
9: <laughs>
31: I must tell you of an incident that happened to Bogey before I met him. He was keeping company with a girl, and one day while he was waiting in front of her house, she wanted Bogey to go to the store for her. So she opened the window and called out, Off Free! Off Free! And twenty guys ran up to her room.
2: Next time on Breaking Walls, we focus on Bogey and Bacall II, when we spotlight the unsung radio career of Humphrey Bogart. The reading material used in today's episode was On the Air by John Dunning, Dean and Me a Love Story by Jerry Lewis, Everybody Loves Somebody Sometime, Especially Himself, The Story of Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis by Arthur Marks, Network Radio Ratings, By Jim Ramsberg. Marilyn Monroe, the biography, by Donald Spoto. As well as articles from Billboard, The Cleveland Plain Dealer, Life Magazine, The Los Angeles Times, The New York Times, and Variety. On the interview front, Jack Benny and Virginia Gregg spoke with Chuck Shaden. Hear these interviews at speakingofradio.com. John Gibson spoke to Dick Bertell and Ed Corcoran for WTIC's The Golden Age of Radio. Hear these full interviews at goldenage-wtic.org. Both Frank and Nancy Sinatra Jr. spoke with Larry King. Marilyn Monroe spoke with Dave Garraway for NBC's Monitor in 1955. Both Martin and Lewis spoke with Cedric Adams for WCCO in 1952. Dean spoke with Edward R. Murrow in 1958 and with Randy Oakes in 1954. Jerry Lewis spoke with Sam Denhoff for the Television Academy in 2000. Selected music featured in today's episode was Hen Ferchatan by Avi Avital, Memories Are Made of This by Dean Martin, and Manhattan Serenade by Richard Alden. Subscribe to Burning Gotham, the new audio soap opera set in 1835 New York City. It's available everywhere you get your podcasts and at burninggotham.com. Special thank you to Ted Davenport, Jerry Hendegas, and Gordon Skeen. For Ted, go to radiomemories.com. For Jerry, visit otrsite.com. And for Gordon, go to pastdaily.com. I'd also like to thank Walden Hughes and John and Larry Gassman of SpurVac. Listen to their shows on the Yesterday USA Radio Network. Breaking Walls episode 140 will spotlight the radio career of Humphrey Bogart. This episode will be available beginning June 1st, 2023, everywhere you get your podcast, and at thewallbreakers.com. In the meantime, give Breaking Walls a quick rating on whatever platform you listen, especially iTunes. You can also join the Breaking Walls Facebook group at facebook.com groups thewallbreakers. And support this show for as little as a buck a month at patreon.com slash the wallbreakers. So, until June 1st, my name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls episode 139. I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much.